Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Casual Try Hard Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm James. So, over the last couple weeks... Yeah, like three, four episodes of the podcast. We've been working through a section on how to play in paper. Yep. Generally targeting people coming from arena into paper, or people who don't have a whole lot of experience with paper magic before. So, what we want to do was take all these segments that we've done across multiple podcasts and put them in one place for you Mm -hmm. to be able to just find them and not have to like pick through old podcasts. Not to tell you we don't want you to listen to the old podcast. Right. But just to, if you are new, just Mm -hmm. to have all this information in one place. Yep. Or if you know somebody who's new or know somebody who's looking to, you know, make the switch from arena to paper or just get into paper in general, um, you can just share one link and it'll have all the, what we feel is points that they need to know to get started playing in paper. Yeah. So we cover things ranging from what you need to like, what physical things you need to buy before you start. Yep, how tournaments run. Yeah, all the way down to magic lingo for everyone. So if you like this and you want to follow us and get uh, some interaction going here, you Mm -hmm. can tweet at us at Casual Tripod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG. You can send us an email at show at Casual Tryhard MTG.com. We're on Podbean. We're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on Spotify, uh, we're on YouTube. Yeah. Is there anywhere else we are? I think that's pretty much everywhere we are. Yeah. But if you are looking for us, that's where we are. And all those links and places are in the description below. Yep, check it out. We are going to talk about how to get you from Arena to a tournament kind of this week. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we're going to start breaking down how you interact with your opponent yep. once you're at the tournament. Yep. Right. So when we, we first got the, the suggestion, it was just like, we we're like, oh, yeah, we can talk about like communication through like a turn. And then we kind of realized there was a lot more to it than that. And then it was like, oh, wait, like, what do they need to like actually be sitting and having that turn? Right. Right. So we wanted to start clear back at the beginning. Yeah. And some of this stuff was. Things that we noticed while we were at the GP. Mm-hmm. Saw a lot of people running around like crazy trying to get their act together before the tournament started, and we were both glad we weren't them. Yes. Rock first things first is, uh, like, why should we play in paper? Like, why should we put pants on? Because uh, I'm too pretty to go to prison. <laughs> That's why I put on pants every day. I, I can't send me to jail. <laughs> okay, that was good. <laughs> I... I say in class, <laughs> I'd be traded like currency. <laughs> Want these cigarettes? I got a Wakefield for you. No. <laughs> Passed around. <laughs> Passed around be rough. Um, I can pay you in cigarettes, ramen noodles, or Brian's. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's unwilling currency. Thank you. Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. I'm not big enough to put up a fight. Uh, okay. So there's a few reasons. One, uh, as people often point out, Many people enjoy the gathering portion of yeah, Magic the Gathering. There is certainly a social aspect of it. And so you don't have the gathering in Arena. Right. Like, unless you can, like, you know, build friendships and relationships with the uh, five uh, emotes that you have. <laughs> and I have them muted, so... Or with Sparky, the the dummy robot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, going to try my best. Sure you are, Sparky. <laughs> yeah, sure good you job. Are, buddy. Way to roll over. <laughs> <laughs> roll over. Good, good. 
Good AI, Sparky. Yeah. Yeah. Great job. Better than Chandelar. <laughs> I thought Chandelar was great, man. Chandelar AI. AI, AI, AI has, <laughs> well, the AI uh, is terrible. The game's great, though. Yeah, it is. They need to update <laughs> that thing. But, uh, so there is the gathering aspect. Yeah, there's a, a lot of friends, like you. Yeah. That uh, you don't meet playing Arena. You th- meet them, like, at your FNM. I think that um, that's part of the reason I got, I didn't know anyone when I started playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a friend group that was Cameron. He mm-hmm. moved here, like, after college. Yep. And started playing, and that's how he got his friends. Yep. The oft-mentioned, yet to show up on the podcast, but one day, Anthony, Yeah, that's how he got his friend group, was when he moved from uh, like La Jolla, California to here, mm-hmm. and he started playing Magic and like asked me, like, what do you think of my draft deck? And I like tried to help him out with his draft deck, and that's how he like yeah. uh, got a friend group. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a way to, like, especially if you're like somewhere new yeah. or something. I mean, when you're old, it's hard, hard to make friends. It is. It's weird, right? It is, right? Like, when you were in school, there were just always people around. Yeah. Now you, like, go to work and you... Can't st- wait to go home and You then tolerate you get home those people. And, yeah. <laughs> and then Hello. there's your wife. Not that, you know, coming home to your wife is a problem, but there's yeah, a whole bunch of people out there. Yeah, and it's like, oh, yeah. and now my social interactions are done. Yeah. Hey, wife, how's it going? I'm not going to meet anyone new today. That's right. Um, right. So there's that. And I think there's also... And I think we've talked about this before. I think there's still more prestige mm-hmm. in doing well in paper. Yeah. Right? 100%. There's still the like idea that like really good players are really good in paper. Right. And like cuz the client we've talked about this before the client does like kind of hold your hand a little bit. Yeah. Right. My opponent would not have missed his two triggers if on Arena. Arena did it for him. Arena would have put him on the stack and I would have been dead. Right. Right. So like, you know, I was fortunate, but that's a skill that you have to have. You have to be able to like play a robber of the rich, attack, mm-hmm. announce all of your triggers, make them happen. Make them happen, yep. do everything right and then like do all do all that stuff, keep all that stuff straight in your head. Yeah. There was a common, like going back to the social part of it, mm-hmm. there was a common thing a couple of years ago. I don't know how common it is anymore, but a lot of the magic pros kind of like cross-pollinated with poker pros. Yes. So it was, my understanding was there was a bunch of people that played magic. Yeah. And then poker blew up in the early two, early to mid-2000s, mm-hmm. and a lot of them walked away from magic. or Went to go play poker. Or backburnered magic, because yeah. as strange as it, seems a lot of the same skills that like make you good at magic make you good at poker Mm -hmm. right you're reading signals in the like unintended sent information right from your opponent based on what they're doing you're you're, like doing the math in your head of how likely Mm -hmm. is someone to have this card or that card right so all that stuff Mm kind of translates and yep. in the you know mid to early 2000s, there was a lot more money yeah. in doing that, like sitting at home and playing, you know, 85 tables of poker simultaneously mm-hmm. than there was playing magic. Playing magic. Yep. I mean, you may have heard of Eric Froelich. Yep. He has at least one, if not two, World Series of Poker bracelets. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Williams. It plays poker. Uh, that's what he's known for is playing poker, yeah. And plays magic. And, yep. pe- like, so. and does commentary now. And mm-hmm. Yep. 
so yeah there's a lot of a lot of those skills translate so like if you play poker like it's the same kind of thing the same kind of skills are going to translate yep so we we think that uh magic uh, the paper is the way to play Yes, 100%. that is that is how we learned how to play in our back high school hallways or wherever you started. Yep, that's how I would rather play. Um, yeah, I kind of use I play I do play a lot of arena, but I kind of use that to hone my paper game instead of vice versa. Yeah, it's more I try to find decks on arena and get yeah. good with them because I can never you can never play as many games in paper right. as you do with any digital client yeah. because. Right, you've got to shuffle between games. Mm-hmm. Not on the, not on your digital client. Okay. Yep, you've got to wait for the round to end. Wait for pairings. You know, you've you crack your fabled passage. Yep, it just shows you all your lands. Yeah, you click on it. It shows it sho- you the lands you can get. Yeah. yeah, it shows you all the lands you can get. You click on the, you yeah. click on it. It goes onto the battlefield. Your deck shuffled. Right, took like three seconds. Right, it takes a minute or two on paper. Yeah, so it's just a faster thing. So I do the same thing. I'm like, I want to play this deck, mm-hmm. or I want to see if this deck's good. I'm going to play it here because yep. in two hours I can get you know 20, uh, 10 games in. Yeah, you can play almost a full tournament or what you would in paper in a couple hours on Arena. Yeah, that is what I use it for as well. Like, I want to yep. be good in on Arena because that's going to translate to being good in mm-hmm. in uh, uh, paper. Yep. I also like holding the cards. I enjoy my collection. I enjoy, you know, going out and finding some of the weird cards. Yeah. I mean, I like I like touching them. I, I like to touch the cardboard. I don't like organizing them. I have too many of them. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there's that aspect of it as well. Yeah. It's like, you know, finding the cards you want for a particular deck or the particular printing. Yep. Or, you know, the we've talked about Magic Finance before. Right. You can't flip cards in arena. That is correct. It is impossible. Right. So if there is an aspect of like getting to be smarter than everyone on like a particular card. Yeah. Or being able to like be right about a card and buy a bunch low, get rid of them high and get something mm-hmm. better. Something you wanted, some reserve list card or in my old age I have grown fond of the shinies. I yes. Ne- never used to, but So have I. Yeah. It's it's the red paper clip thing, right? From Craigslist. <laughs> yeah. Right, you're you're just trying to trade up to a card that's worth a house as opposed to an actual place to live. Basically, uh, this black lotus cannot provide me shelter, <laughs> shelter or nourishment. But here it is. <laughs> One thing we don't have on here for things to do before you play mm-hmm. is we got to figure out where you're going to play. Oh yeah. So how that's do people find where to play? Like the easiest way is. Please don't say Wizards' website. I was going to say Wizards Event Finder. <laughs> That is not the easiest way. That website is trash. I've used it before. It's yeah. I haven't. I've used it like when I go to like different. If I go to like a different yeah. town, I've and used I wanna, it before also. And I want to find a game. Basically, what it uh, what this site does there's there's layers of using it, yeah. and I think the best way to use it is you go to like Wizards Event Finder, mm-hmm. and you like type in your zip code or your town or whatever, and yeah. you set like a range, and it's just gonna list all the stores in that range, all the stores in that area. Yeah. Now, you want to get from Wizards' website <laughs> to not on Wizards' website as quickly as possible. Yeah, you need so to leave there. now you have like <laughs> a, list of, a list of a list of websites or at least store names. Yeah. And then you can go to those sites yeah. or find them. The, most stores have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. 
Almost all of them do. Or a web page. Yeah. And then that's how you're going to get from... That's how you got to know where you can go. Right. Because once you're on those pages, pretty much universally somewhere, they're going to have a list of events, and you're going to see when they have tournaments and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's the first thing is, like, you decided to put on pants. Where are you wearing <laughs> these fancy pants? Fancy pants. Right? So... I think Wizards event recorder, or not recorder. That, <laughs> That's a whole nother train That's wreck. a whole nother train wreck. Wizards a, a event, event finder. finder, event locator yep. is just going to give you a list of stores that like have magic tournaments. Yeah. One of the odd things about Wizards event finder, though, is that it doesn't necessarily rank the stores by distance or quality. It kind of ranks them by what's running time-wise. So it'll find the next closest event to you. Like if you're if you're trying to find an FNM to go to and it's a Monday, you might end up with two stores that are running, you know, Tuesday Night Modern before FNM, and it will list those two stores first. Yeah. I guess we can talk about that real quick as what kind of events to play in. Yeah. So I think the the place to start typically... I'm currently on Wizards Event Locator, and it, I can't get it to let me search. Yeah. So this is good. Oh, oh, oh. Here we go. It's listing them by, like, event. Yeah. So basically, when a store wants to run an event, they have mm-hmm. to go into some software yep. and schedule their events in advance so it works in this Wizards Event Finder thing. Yep. It also, like you mentioned, Wizards Event Reporter, it links with that also. Yeah. If they don't schedule an event, it won't be in the Event Reporter for them to run the event. Yeah. So basically, I I did this, and it listed events, and it showed you where the stores were on a map. And then you can just, like, now now I have the names of the thing. Yep. So most stores are going to run a Friday Night Magic. Yeah. That is most times going to be... Depending on the store and how big it is, mm-hmm. it might just be one format. It might just be standard, or it may just be draft, yeah. or it may be modern. So if you're not sure, if they don't like clearly say, just yeah. call or like message someone on Facebook and be like, "Hey, what format is your FNM?" Mm-hmm. I am gonna say something real quick about draft. Okay, I tend to push like new players towards draft because it helps them build a collection that they can then use to construct decks out of. But I think we're a little bit jaded because. Our store always fires draft. Yes. Like more people show up for draft than most other formats usually. Yeah, it's usually they it's usually probably twelve to thirty people yeah. will draft and we're usually trying to scrape together yeah. enough people six for a constructed to eight event. To make a constructed event yeah. happen. Um that's not the norm though. A lot of stores don't draft. Yeah, a lot of stores it's more yeah. constructed. Yeah. I started out playing a lot of drafts. Yep. Uh, you can tell when I started and I had a lot more time, I have a lot more Battle for Zendikar mm-hmm. and Oath of the Gatewatch cards than anything else Yeah, because I drafted those formats like three times a week. Mm-hmm. I liked doing draft initially because when I started, I was like, well, I don't have any cards. Like I had cards 15 years ago, but I don't have any cards. Right. And like I'm behind the eight ball in terms of what I – can play like mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going on, but like with draft, there's a hundred percent skill to it, knowing what to do, mm-hmm. right? But you are all starting card wise at zero, right? 
at the end you were responsible for picking your cards you didn't have to show up with cards mm-hmm. and then like you said over time you will like put together a collection and yeah. be able to maybe have the starts of a standard deck yeah that is a nice part about draft though is you you're building a deck out of the same pool as the guys on either side of you yeah again like people are going to be like better at it because they've had more practice or whatever but like you can develop those skills and a lot of the skills that you develop, like combat math, yeah, and things like that, translate into yeah, they're the same standard and, and everything like that. Yep. Um, new sets always have like funky interactions too. Drafts a good way to learn those interactions. They can like help you down the road when you're trying to put put a deck together. Or... Yeah. So there's the first thing you got to figure out like where your like closest tournament mm-hmm. is. And now, if there are like three stores in your area, you can maybe shop around a little bit and yeah. go to a store one event and be like, eh, I don't know, and try another store until you find like a store that's right for you. A lot of mm-hmm. towns, I know Anthony's talked about this when he was out in California and then here as well for a long time, mm-hmm. we had a more compete, there was a more competitive store yeah. and a more casual store. Right. And the players kind of like will self sort right. into the people that are like going to have fun and play like tier two standard decks. Yeah. And the people that are going to be at the store playing the best possible standard deck because they've got a PTQ to go to on Saturday. Yeah. And they want to try like one more card, like a different card in their main deck. Yeah. Right. And a lot of times those will split. Mm-hmm. And like finding the store that's the right fit for you. Right. Like, you know, you, right. If you're like, I'm not super competitive about this, I just want to have fun. And you go into a store that's like a bunch of grinders. A, yeah. A bunch of grinders that are super spiky. I'm, they might not be unwelcoming right but like losing to o2 isn't fun four matches in a row yeah. is not like super fun yeah it's not gonna leave a good taste in your mouth right so like you can like shop around for a store so if there are yeah, multiple stores in your area go around even before the fnm like i would suggest doing it before the, before the event yeah just like to you're like trying to find go get your... a go get the vibe and get the stuff that we're going to talk about here in, in a second yeah maybe ask some questions yeah ask the store owner like what kind of people show up what kind of decks are around whatever yeah so before you go to play so we've mm-hmm. we found you a place to go mm-hmm. right you spend as little time on wizard side as possible <laughs> when you found a place to go yep all right so now what do we need to have before you go accessories yes like we're not going to talk about your deck quite yet we're going to talk about the stuff that you need so we're going to talk about the stuff that you need like in paper to play the game versus the stuff that you would need to play digitally yes so you're going to need uh dice for a couple different reasons um dice used for tracking planeswalker loyalty yeah uh, use them for plus one, plus one, and minus one, minus one counters on creatures. Yep. And sometimes you can use them to represent tokens. Yeah. Like the number of tokens. Yeah. So, like, let's say you've made six goblins and you right. only have one goblin token. Yeah. You can just throw a six on top of your goblin token. Yeah. And be like, I got six of these. Mm-hmm. If you plan on making a bunch of tokens, you probably don't need like thirty. You can probably get away with like three, maybe mm-hmm. one for tapped, one for untapped, and one for summoning sick. Yeah. Is usually plenty to, you know, to differentiate. Like clearly represent what's going on. Yeah. One thing that you should not use dice for, though, is keeping track of your life total. Yes. Um, that should be done on pen and paper. That's the way that you're expected to keep track of your life at um, like larger, more competitive events. Yes. 
because you can go back and if there's any discrepancies, you can kind of figure out where the discrepancies are. Yeah. And you don't have any of that with dice. Yeah. And, or if someone like bumps to the table and right. your dice move, now you've lost track of. Right. Right. Now, if you're like play testing with a friend or whatever, like the yeah. spin down that they give you is fine. Yep. But like, you know, I always have a, a notebook mm-hmm. and I just track each of my. Yeah. My, I just keep filling up like games on in the notebook. Mm-hmm. I try and play like when I'm at the game store. I try and play with my spin downs, um, mainly because I feel like it's more welcoming to like other players. Whereas if I'm you know taking notes the whole time in a notebook, like some people might find that off putting. Okay, like more casual players. I mean, mm-hmm. so when we're at the game store, I try and play with the spin downs just to make it make me more approachable i guess but it is not a habit you should get into yeah because at some point you're going to want to play i'm assuming at some point you're going to want to play competitively and at that point you're going to need to be used to keeping track of your life total with pen and paper yeah even if like you're not like i want to make the pro tour but maybe there's a saturday ptq right or an iq or whatever and you're just like oh i don't have anything going on this saturday i'm Mm -hmm. going to play in this because i want to play magic right right and so that's the way you have to keep track of it is pen and paper Mm mm-hmm we also kind of glanced over something that I think we should talk a little bit about. Okay. And that's tokens. Yes. Uh, we talked about using dice to kind of represent tokens. You should make sure that you have a token to put a die on. Yeah, so technically in the magic rules, anything can be a token as long as you've agreed with your opponent that this pile of pre-chewed gum right. is going to be a goblin. Or a pizza box. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. But ideally, Wizards has made tokens and they've stuck them in the packs. Mm -hmm. They are dirt cheap. They are. Sometimes they're hard to find the correct ones, but they are always cheap. Yeah, like inexpensive tokens like a dollar. Right. And you're like, damn, why is this token a dollar? And you're like, oh, it's for a mythic. Okay. Right. Right. But for the most part, they're cheap. Yeah. Most stores will have them for you to buy for a nickel. Or they'll just give them to you. Or they'll give them to you. A lot of times when you order cards, Mm -hmm. they just throw random tokens in. Like Channel Fireball throws in Andre Manguchi tokens. (laughs) That you can then get signed at your GP. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Just make sure you have your tokens. Like I was playing a deck that generated tokens Uh or like Planeswalker emblems. Yep. I just had all the tokens I needed Mm -hmm. in my box. Yep. It's important because you can actually get a game loss for not re- representing a board state clearly enough. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that you do everything you can or make an effort at least to cleanly and clearly represent what's going on in the battlefield. And that's easiest to do with the actual tokens. Correct. Yep. So, so you're going to have your dice, you're going to have your pen and paper. Mm-hmm. You're going to hopefully, if you're going to make tokens, you're going to have tokens. Yep. That, uh, that token thing can go both ways also. Um, as far as like representing your battlefield, like if your battlefield is a mess and you don't have the right tokens, not only might your opponent make a mistake because you're not representing what you have correctly, but you might make a mistake also. And like, also, I have given my opponent tokens. Yeah. Where they're like, "Oh, I'm making a wolf," and yeah. they're like, "Here's this, not a wolf." And I'm like, "Wait a minute." Yeah. Here's, here's a, wolf. a wolf. Yeah. Like for draft, I have all my lands. Mm-hmm. And then I just have like a bunch of tokens mm-hmm. from that set. Yep. Just in a box. So when I draft, I always have like lands and sleeves, which we'll talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. And then tokens. And yep. they'll just be like, here, you need a wolf. Here's a wolf. Here's a wolf. Enjoy your wolf. Yep. 
It just makes things easier. Yep. All right. So if you haven't got this stuff, we'll do more. There's the play mat. Yep. When I first started, I was like, well, this seems dumb, but it's just nicer to play on. They actually serve a purpose, too. It is very, much nicer to play on a play mat than on a table. Um, number one, because I have giant sausage fingers with like little to no fingernails, so mm. it's hard for me to pick cards up off of the hard table. Okay. It's much easier to pick them up off of the squishy play mat. Yes. And they keep your cards slash sleeves clean. Yeah. Because you don't have to worry about like what um, mongrel had like spilled stuff or smeared right. all over the table beforehand. Yep. So the play mats are like, again, most stores will sell them. Mm-hmm. You can find them online. If you just like search like magic play mat or whatever, you'll get mm-hmm. a bajillion different things. Also, if you're new to a store and have kind of hit it off with one of the regulars, most people that have been playing for some amount of time have a stack of play mats at home. I have like 10 to 20 and I've given a bunch away. Yeah. There's a few that I want to keep. Yeah. But for the most part, like we had some younger kids come mm-hmm. in and I just went and just grabbed a bunch of play mats from yep. when uh, going like top painting an IQ gave you a play mat. Right. Or when doing something else gave you a play mat or when you went mm-hmm. to a GP, they just would give you a play mat. Yeah. For a while they were giving away with pre-releases. Yeah, you just got playmats for everything. Yep. I know, like, a couple times I've, you know, made a weekend out of going to somebody's house and, like, teaching them how to play magic. And when I do that, I always bring extra sleeves, extra playmats, and just give them to them. Yeah, so the playmat, like, getting a playmat, usually there's, like, a clear plastic tube you can get for, like, Mm -hmm. so a playmat's, like, $20 usually. For a nice one, yeah. For a nice one. Yeah, you can get cheap ones less than that, but yeah. For like a nice one, and there's yeah. like 20 bucks. Yep. And then like you can get like a, a, a storage tube mm-hmm. that way you can just roll it up and slide in and it fits like easily in your bag or in your hand to carry around. Yep, and they're a couple bucks. Yeah, so like you have that. It just makes things easier. Mm-hmm. I forgot my playmat and just like well, played no playmat <laughs> into top eight. Good job, me. And then the last thing we keep talking about is sleeves. Yeah. So... It is very rare to see anyone play constructed magic right. without their cards in sleeves. Mm-hmm. So the sleeves, again, serve a dual purpose. One, of keeping your cards nice. Yeah. So they're not sliding all over some grubby table. Yeah. Magic's kind of a unique hobby in that you can kind of recoup some of your investment when you're done with it. Yeah. If you don't take care of your cards, you can't do that. Yeah, so if you know you're old like us and played with no sleeves, like on the floor yeah. in the back hallway, with cards that are now super expensive, super expensive, they're all like scuffed up on the back and yeah. stuff. Most places will have sleeves. Mm-hmm. I usually buy dragon shields. I try. I also I'm buy dragon shields. Dragon shield mats. A yep. box of dragon shield mats is like ten dollars. Yeah, it's 10 like to ten 11. and change. Yeah, yeah, ten to eleven dollars. And it's it's well worth it. Mm-hmm. So you just take all your cards and you want to make sure, one, that you try to, you buy a box mm-hmm. and you keep all those sleeves together. Right. So you're like, hey, I'm going to take these hundred sleeves. I'm going to sleeve up my deck in them. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to sleeve up my sideboard. I'm going to have 25 extra sleeves in case one of my sleeves breaks or a yep. corner gets bent or something. So they protect your cards. And they also make it easier to shuffle, mm-hmm. like way easier. Yeah, they're also they also serve another uh, duty, and that's for uniformity. 
And that's kind of why you said you like to buy a pack of sleeves and then keep those sleeves together. For any sort of competitive play, there can be no doubt that you can't differentiate any cards in your deck from one another. Yeah. And sleeving your deck makes it so that any inconsistencies that are worn into the back of the cards you can't see. Like a lot of times at draft, I know, I I don't really like sleeving when I'm playing draft because like when I'm playing draft I'm usually just playing for fun and I kind of like you know mangling the cards a little bit so what you get for being drafted card yeah (laughs) (laughs) let me throw you on the floor but a lot of times the lands will have been through like four or five drafts at that point and they're beat up and they're a little beat up when you shuffle them next to new cards you can kind of tell like when a land is coming when like a regular card's coming Um, sleeves prevent that and that's a good thing yeah. Back to what Brian said about like keeping the boxes of sleeves together is over time the knives that cut the sleeves like into their shapes or whatever they wear. So you'll have different cut lines on different batches of sleeves where you can actually tell the sleeves apart. You can tell that they don't belong together. You can you can feel like yeah. that cards will stick out because they're yeah. slightly bigger. Yeah. So if you just get like a box mm-hmm. and then like I have a pioneer deck. Mm-hmm. Bought sleeves for, sleeved it, and then I just wrote on the box, like, Godfrey's gift. Yep. And it's like, yep, these sleeves go with this. So if I, like, break a sleeve, mm-hmm. I have those sleeves. If you're going to, like, a big event, like, if you decide that you're going to go to a GP, right, I would just, like, get new sleeves right before the tournament. Yep. Maybe, like, you know, earlier that week. I like to play one event with a set of sleeves. I was going to say, play, like, one event because yeah. they're, so they're not super slidey because when you first yeah. get your new sleeves and you sleeve your deck mm-hmm. it's always puffy oh yeah and they always slide <laughs> and so like that first game you play like they just your like cards are all over the place your, your opponent goes to cut your deck and it just falls over <laughs> you're trying to play magic on an air hockey table yeah but you want to get like one event in and then keep that box of extra sleeves yep so if you're shuffling and you break a sleeve which will happen mm-hmm. or you like bend a corner you can just throw that sleeve away yep and put in a new sleeve, and now everything's the same. Yep. And also, like, I saw something yesterday on Twitter where someone took a picture of someone's deck post-sideboarding. Mm-hmm. I think it might not have been quite post-sideboarding, but they had their main deck cards. The sleeves are all wavy. Oh, because they've been playing on them. And then the sideboard cards, the sleeves were flat, and you could you look. Could and they it looks like they just split the deck in half, stuck the sideboard cards in the middle, yeah. and because the middle, everything was perfectly straight. Yeah. And then all the other cards were, the tops were a little wavy. Yeah. And they're like, this is technically a marked deck. Right. Because like the sideboard cards would be easy to tell from the regular cards. Mm-hmm. Now, again, unless like you're dealing with terrible human beings at like right. an F&M, no one's going to like get you a game loss for that. They may be like, hey man, get some better sleeves. Yeah. Right. But like, and if you're at a store where someone tries to get you a game loss and no one tells them that they're an idiot yeah uh, find a different store because those are terrible those are terrible humans yes if nobody sticks up for you at that point the store is full of terrible humans so yeah and the the casual try hard uh, uh, uh message to everyone is just be a good person yeah just be a reasonable human being <laughs> be a reasonable human being. we're not asking a lot here so a little bit of backstory when we first got this question on how to uh play magic and work through a turn or whatever that was kind of my response yeah (laughs) i don't know how we can fill an episode with this my answer is just be a reasonable human being (laughs) yeah but there is a whole episode maybe more is where this stuff 
Now the last thing, so you've got your pen, your paper, your your uh, sleeves, sleeves, your playmat. Play mat. Another thing you're gonna get. Uh, we haven't got the card. We haven't got you, got you a deck yet. Yeah. The other thing you're gonna get is you're gonna get a DCI number. Mm-hmm. So that is how the DCI number is how Big Wizards tracks you. That's right. So that is the number that you give to register for an event. Register for an event. Yep. It's how they put you in Wizards event recorder mm-hmm. so that they can. Tra- uh, follow you mm-hmm. like you know that the tournament actually works and then at the end the store owner hits the submit button yep and sends that event off to wizards yep and they track how you do mm-hmm. there's these things called planeswalker points right and you earn these for getting for participating in events for getting wins for getting draws and there's a whole bunch of stuff yeah if you go to like what's like if you just google planeswalker points it'll come up it'll come up but when you get this DCI card, there's a thing on the... It's got your number. Mm-hmm. Uh, first thing you should do is you should go into your phone. 100%. And you should make a contact that is DCI number. And it turns out your DCI number is 10 digits, just like a phone number. So I have my card in my wallet, but I'm sure it is a ratty, nasty disaster. Oh, yeah. I don't even think I have my card anymore. But I have my number in my phone. So whenever mm-hmm. I ask for my DCI number, I just go into my contacts and find DCI number. Yep. Right. On the back of that card, they're going to tell you how to register mm-hmm. your DCI number. So you go to a website and you basically you make an account and you t- you put your name mm-hmm. on your DCI number. What's fun about that is is now when you go to that Planeswalker Points website, you can find your name like mm-hmm. if you play a lot, you can find your name in your state, you mm-hmm. can find your name you play a whole whole lot like in the country. <laughs> yeah, like, it'll kind of rank you. Yeah, so I think I'm like 13th or 14th in South Carolina, and you yeah. are 15th. Yeah. But you can see where you sit in your state, mm-hmm. and the DCI number is going to be how, like, if you decide to go to a GP and you've played a lot, you can get a buy mm-hmm. based on how many Planeswalker points you have. And right. that's the only, the DCI number is the only way that you can, like, track your Planeswalker points. So. Right. Your store, when they go to set it up, they should, they're going to ask you, do you have a DCI number? And they're going to give you a card. Mm-hmm. Do what the card says on the back. Yes, please register it. Please register it. Because, you know, I like even this PTQ, yeah. I went in and I played against person with a name, person with a name, a blank, person with a name, a blank, yeah. person with a name. Right? So if you don't go register, you just show up as like a null yeah. in like events and stuff Mm -hmm. so go register it it's beneficial for you yep it Um, also helps the store out wizards has kind of changed the way that they issue promos and allocate product to uh local game stores and if you come in with the same number all the time it helps them out so okay just a quick aside you do your store a favor too yeah so we have a bunch of stuff yep now we didn't say Pen and paper, you can get that anywhere. Right? Yeah, the other thing about pen and paper, real quick, as opposed to like keeping track of your life with spin downs, is you can write yourself notes during a match, too. They have to remain public. Right. But, like, let's say you cast Thought Erasure. Right. Right. On Arena, they just show you those cards. And then they stay revealed. Yeah. In paper they don't stay revealed you have to write them down right again if you're dealing with a decent human they'll be like you want to write them down Mm -hmm. right it'll give you time to write them down Mm -hmm. and then 
you can just write them down and then check off. Yeah, like as they play them, you can cross them off or whatever. So you know, cards are in their hand. Yeah. So that's also kind of important, too. But, like, for your sleeves in your Mm playmat, you can usually get those at the game store that you're planning to go to. Mm -hmm. So if it's your first time, right, and you have cards but no sleeves, go, like, 30 or 40 minutes early before the event if you can. Yeah, I would try and show up a little early anyway. Yeah. Or, like, go on Wednesday and, like, scout the place out and get your sleeves then and then sleeve your deck up at home. Mm Mm-hmm. You can also order them online and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, just be mindful, like, that you're going to want to do that and give you, it's going to, it takes time. Yeah. Especially, like, the first time you sleeve cards, like. You're fumbling around. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah. Cutting your fingers up and. So, next is, um, you should come with a deck if you're going to play Constructed. Or show up with enough time to get the cards for the deck. Um, if your tournament starts at 7 o'clock, you probably don't want to show up at 6.55 with a list of 20 cards you need to play in the event. That's yeah. kind of not a, not a very nice thing to do to whoever's working the counter. Because they they're, like, registering a bunch of people. Yeah. Right, they, so you, they don't have time to stop and pull your order right. for you. So if you've played exclusively, like, on, a, on Arena, mm-hmm. you know, if you decide, like, I want to go play on paper, if you're going to order your cards online, mm-hmm. you know, there's... There's we use TCG player a lot. Yep. Uh, we tell you again. We told you about the thing before. Use TCG direct. Yeah. I usually get my cards in under a week. I can order stuff on a Monday and usually get them on Friday. That's what happened with my last order. Usually, if I get stuff TCG direct, it's like two days. If I yeah. order Monday, I usually get it Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. So you can order from TCG. Yep. Star City Channel Fireball. Um, I'm forgetting anyone. I guess uh, card hoarder. Card hoarder. Yeah. Uh, card Kingdom, Card, card King- Kingdom, not Card Kingdom, yeah. Uh, Cape Fear Games, if you're yeah, Cape Fear, yeah. yep, right. But order your cards in advance so that they have time to show up and that mm-hmm. you're not like scrambling. Yeah, like some of the real big places, like Cape Cape Fear, not Cape Fear, uh, Star like City, Channel Fireball, mm-hmm. and Star City. Um, they can take a little while. Like oh, I, I've had orders from them, like not show up till the following week. Yeah. So and and mindful. like Channel like. You know, depending on where you are, like Channel Fireballs in California. Yeah. Right. Well, TC- even Star City, though. Like, Star City's closer than uh, TCG. TCG Player. And I've yeah. had Star City packages show up like a week after. Yeah. So give yourself some, like, lead time. Because, yeah. right, you can play. Like, there's nothing wrong with showing up and being like, oh, I've got, like, 50 of the 60 cards I really want. And I'm going to fill in the, like, the last 10 slots with, eh. But you'd feel better about yourself yeah. if you just had everything together. I did that last night. I put together the uh, Golgari Field deck, mm-hmm. and I have pieces of that deck and like four other decks right now. So I threw some spice in there. Yeah. <laughs> so order your cards, or you know, if you're going to get them from the store, put in your order a day or two early. Most yeah. again, most stores have a way to order cards online. Yeah. Uh, not all stores. Most stores do that. Most stores. So you could just order all those cards. If there's like a, a note to the vendor section, just be like, I'm going to need these for yep. F&M. You know, I'll be in at six or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So they know like, okay, I got to have these cards set aside for six because this person's going to come in. Yeah. Right. So you're going to get your deck list put together, hopefully before you go into the store mm-hmm. for your F&M. Yep. And like we said, if you're going to a GP, make sure you have your deck. Yeah, that's super important. 
vendors at big events, not just the GP, like opens and stuff also, or regionals or like any sort of larger event um, that has like outside vendors coming to set up and sell cards, they don't bring commons and uncommons. They don't bring bulk rares. They only bring cards they think they can sell. They'll usually bring most of the playable cards from a new standard set. Mm-hmm. And like most of the playable standard cards. Yeah. If it's a standard event. It's a standard like event. Like I've seen vendors show up to modern events with no standard cards. So you can't be like, well, I need these like uncommons. Right. They're probably not going to be there. Yeah. And if they are, like we told you guys about at the at, uh, Magic Fest Richmond, mm-hmm. they were charging a huge premium yeah. on those cards. Yeah. Guys spent $40 on five uncommons from Core 20. Yeah, like it, it's insane. Yeah. Right? And he would have spent like $5 or yeah, 10 If you ordered them online. But I think that is a product of how a lot of people play Magic now. A lot of people mm-hmm. play Magic Online or play right. Arena, so they don't have the physical cards. They just buy their cards for yeah. the paper events they're going to. Could be. Right. So just make sure you have your cards. And again, like if you can't have all of your deck, have most of your deck and then actual cards to like fill yeah. out the rest, you know, like yep. I really wish I had a shifting Ceratops, but I guess I'll play a ferocious witch stalker because it's too green, green. Yeah. And plays a similar role almost as big, yep. but it'd be way better if I had a shifting Ceratops. Right. Or like, I wish I had a questing beast, mm-hmm. but I'll take the shifting, but I'll take this yeah. witch stalker until I have a questing beast. Mm-hmm. And especially like when you're starting out, like, not wanting to spend $80 on four um, questing beasts questing beast for your deck is fine. Yeah. Right? Like, especially, like, if you're, like, I don't know if I'm going to, like, really like playing in paper mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, you know, doing it somewhat on a budget. Mm-hmm. And then being, like, no, this is, I'm, like, really competitive. Like, I really want to do, like, then, like, yeah, paying that stuff. I. I heard it described on Gabby's on a Gabby's stream as it's not pay to play, it's pay to compete. That's true. Right? You can you can play magic. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost you money, but mm-hmm. you can play magic relatively cheaply. Oh yeah. Right? Like you can do a lot of places a draft is $10. You could show mm-hmm. up every week and draft for 10 bucks, right? Or 15, right? I think, but, I think it's going rates about 15 now, but yeah. Yeah. So 10 or $15 you could do a draft. That's like going to like a movie right right like that's not bad right but like standard decks high tier standard decks mm-hmm. are three or four hundred dollars mm-hmm. modern decks run to two thousand dollars yeah right legacy decks are a car are, are a car yeah right but you can do it relatively cheaply and mm-hmm. then like work towards those other cards yeah if that's something you want to do like yeah maybe you just like draft yeah there's plenty of people that just draft just draft also, you, if you go to a place for a while, mm-hmm. maybe like someone will be like, "What are, what are those witch stalkers supposed to be?" Yeah, or like you're like, "Oh yeah, like I don't have like you play your witch stalker and you're like, yeah, I don't have mm-hmm. a questing beast," and like maybe the next tournament they'll be like, "Here, you use my four questing beasts mm-hmm. and give them back to me at the end of the at the end of F and M." Yep. I've give done them, that for people. Yeah, give them back. Don't be a scumbag. Right. <laughs> but if you're, you're listening to us, you're not a scumbag. Um, I mean, I've also showed up to FNM and, like, you know, helped some newer players with their decks and 
bought cards off my store credit form for yeah. their deck too. Yeah, I've given I've given people stuff yeah. out of my trade binder. I'm like, here yeah. you go. So there you go. We've gotten you a deck. Mm-hmm. We've well, got- do you do you want to talk real quick about like how to how to actually get a deck? Uh, I mean, you follow me on Twitter, and I tell you about the decks. There you go. That is the best places. So, so, so there, so there's, there's Twitter. There's, yeah. I curate like arena deck list podcast, like uh, Twitter feed. There's, a, there's an arena deck list Twitter account mm-hmm. that Jerry Thompson, I think, retweets almost everything. There is yeah. some level of curation. Yeah, I do an additional layer of curation where i'm like i've seen this deck six times right we don't need you, to see you've not again. done anything here yeah. you're not getting you know i'm not retweeting this right but if i see something that's like new or interesting i'll tweet it mm-hmm. there's also you know there's articles on mm-hmm. star city games uh, on channel fireball yeah, i heard star city changed like this week or last is week, everything though. premium now i think everything is premium now mm. which is awkward which is awkward so okay, let's start today. Yeah. Channel Fireball, everything's free. Yep. MTG Goldfish. MTG is Goldfish is a great place to go for deck lists. TCG Player has like an entire like yep. content side that I hardly ever interact with, but I yeah. found articles there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the important things is that obviously it comes with time, but try and like figure out what kind of player you are, and then find a pro that matches you. Yeah. Because a lot of the pros are known for like a specific archetype or a kind of deck that they gravitate towards. And if you can kind of match yourself with one of them, now you have a default. Like if you don't know what to play for an event or if you don't know what to play for FNM, you can kind of default to like whatever they played last or whatever their late, latest article yeah, was. Yeah, I mean, I have Matt Nass as a combo player. Yep. And I have just like jammed matt last legacy decks mm-hmm. and just been like yep i'm gonna do this mm-hmm. it looks fun it was fun we're just gonna do this yep or like a whole bunch recently you've said strasky posted this desk or th- <laughs> this deck i'm i'm gonna play it because he's he's the man right now yeah and the decks have all been good yeah so th- there's that if you have just built something on arena mm-hmm there is a bit of a cautionary tale. Remember, Arena, especially if you're playing best of one, smooths out yeah. your draws. Yeah. And so uh, on Arena, maybe you're playing some mono red deck that's playing 18 lands or 17 lands. That's yeah. not going to fly in paper. Right. Right. So you need to be mindful of the fact that your deck needs to have the right number of lands in mm-hmm. to, to work in paper because you don't get that like hand smoothing algorithm yeah. in real life and when in doubt you should add a land yeah, or two <laughs> uh, the default for most decks is the standard is 24 right uh, if you're a particularly aggressive deck like really hyper aggressive maybe you in standard can cut down to 22 or 21 mm-hmm. uh, in older formats because the cards are even cheaper you can go right. a little bit lower and then like mid-range or control decks that really need to hit their land drops are going to play 25, 26. Yeah, or more. Or more. Uh, but yeah, your 24 is usually like the default. Right. And then... Please don't show up with 22 lands in your deck. Yeah, like you're you're going to have a hard, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Right, so just be, be mindful that Arena... Another way that Arena kind of holds your hand... Mm-hmm is it makes it so you ha- are going to have less games where you just draw like six spells in a land yeah, and you can't keep that hand. Right. Uh, so 
just be mindful. Uh, if you do just have a deck that you've built on arena and you're like, mm-hmm. I want to play this cool, do that, right. but make sure that you're have the right number of lands. Mm-hmm. If you got a bunch of like six and seven drops, you better have 26, 27 lands. Yeah. So or your deck's not going to work. Yeah. You're just not going to do anything. Yep. So we've, so like I said, we've got you now, mm-hmm. you've got a deck. You have a deck. And a DCI number. And a DCI number. And accessories. And accessories. So we're going to work on how to get you, like... Playing magic. Playing magic now. Yep. All right. So we wanted to get back to the how to play in paper series. Yeah. Uh, last time, we kind of walked through what you need before you actually play. Yeah. So we basically got you registered for the event. Mm-hmm. Now, the event at, like, a, a smaller location. Right. Like, if you want your first event to be, like, a GP. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> uh, but you can you can make that happen. Yeah. So, we wanted to go through, now, you're in the tournament, mm-hmm. and now we're at the, the pregame portion before you've sat <laughs> down to play your opponent. Yep. Right. And the first thing is, if you're in a big event, like a GP or a PTQ, you had to actually write down all the cards in your deck. You had to mm-hmm. register your deck. Yeah, um, some store-level events you need a deck registration sheet for also. Like uh, if you go to uh, like an MCQ or an IQ, sometimes they make you do deck registrations. They usually do. Yeah, PPTQs they used to make you do deck registrations for. PTQs now. They don't do GPTs anymore, right? No, I don't think so. But they they required a deck registration. Like any any event that you're playing basically for an invitation to something. Yeah. Or more than like twenty dollars, yeah, forty dollars in store credit. Yeah. Like you are gonna have a deck registration sheet. Yeah. So this sheet uh, at the top has like the name of the event, the mm-hmm. date, who designed the deck. Usually the <laughs> internet. Yeah, basically the answer is always the internet. Yeah, the answer is always the internet. Twitter, casual tryhard Twitter. Yeah. Um, the the deck name. If you're Cameron, it's always something Stompy. <laughs> in fact, is Phyrexian Stompy. Eldrazi is Spaghetti Stompy. Spaghetti Stompy. Along the side, it has a space for your last name, first name, and then your DCI number. Mm -hmm. And where do you find that DCI number? On that card that you got and then put it into your phone under the contact DCI number. Correct. And then you're going to have your main deck and then your sideboard. So there's a section for the cards in the main deck, and then there's a section for the sideboard. Right. And you need to list every card... With their proper magic card name. Right. For every card in your deck, main deck and sideboard, and the number. So if you have four planes, you have to write four planes. planes. Right. If you have four lightning strike, you can't just write four strike. Right. You have to write four lightning strike. Currently, there are five standard legal Chandra planeswalkers. Don't write Chandra. Yeah. They don't know which one you mean. Right. And you might be like, well, I'm not playing this one or this, like, the, what's the one on my deck? Well, they don't know. Right, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so you need to, like, clearly say that I want Chandra, Acolyte of Flame. Or Awakened Inferno or, yeah, whichever one you're Whichever playing. one you want. You yep. have to write the full name and the number. Yep. I go through and I split my cards up into creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, non-creatures and lands. lands, and then I alphabetize them Yep, and list them out that way. I sometimes even go fur- further to break them down by I alphabetize all the four ofs and the three ofs because I'm a weirdo. 
But that so then I have all of them, and uh, you go through and you do that. I usually go by convert to mana cost. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I do it that way. That's just how I've always done it. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Yeah. So I I break it down like I often have my four ups. Yeah. That way you know now. So now you've like set all your cards out in a nice orderly stack, mm-hmm. and then you've written them all down, and you can go back through in the exact order and make sure everything matches up, mm-hmm. because you want to make sure that if you have 60 cards in your deck, right. you've registered all 60 cards in your main deck. Yeah, so when we were at that uh, PTQ last weekend, weekend before last, mm-hmm. my round one opponent, as soon as we finished our games, immediately went to the judges and said there was a problem with his deck registration. Evidently, he had only registered 59 cards and had registered zero sideboard cards despite having a 60-card deck and a 15-card sideboard. Yes. So don't do that. Don't do that. So the the penalty for that is you get a game loss, mm-hmm. and depending on what the error is, they can right. like make you take the wrong cards out of your deck and Put replace them with basic lands. lands. Yeah, that's a rough one. Yeah, so... If it's sometimes if it's something simple like you misspelled the card, they'll like kind of let it slide. If it's like not, yeah. if it's unambiguous, right, right. But if like if there's a lightning strike in the format and a lightning stroke in the format, right, like now it's ambiguous as to what which would one you lightning stroke do. I have no idea. It sounds so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's not think about that. Yeah, it involves a flash. It's just not good. Um, Sounds like it came off of Magic Twitter within the last two weeks. Yes. <laughs> and then you're going to do the same thing for your sideboard. Yep. And make sure you have the right number of cards in your sideboard. Mm-hmm. I've never got a game loss for, for a, a deck, deck reg. reg error. Yeah, I have not either. Because I'm like super like paranoid about it. I go through the list like multiple times. Yeah. Um, we also typically go to like larger events that require deck registrations as a group. There'll be between two and six of us there. And a lot of times what we'll do is after we fill out our deck registrations, we'll like pass them around the table and yeah, just like say, count check- this, make sure everything's right. Another thing now is a lot of deck reg sheets for like GPs are now all online. Right. They won't actually take a paper deck registration sheet at the tournament anymore. Mm-hmm. So you get a link and you can go build your deck mm-hmm. there and you do this. I do the same process. It's just yep. you're doing it on a computer or your phone. Yep. Hopefully the night before. Yeah. And then... There's going to be some sort of pairings to tell you who you're playing against. Yeah, it's um can be a lot less formal at a local game store. It could range anywhere from posted pairings to somebody hollering your name. Yeah, so posted pairings is it'll print out a, a sheet from Wizards, mm-hmm. and it'll list everyone in the left-hand column in alphabetical order. Yep. And then just to the left of that name will be the table that they're at. Now, some stores aren't going to have the tables marked, and you're just responsible for finding your name and who you're playing. And, and then finding a table. Saying a name and yep. shrugging until someone like responds to when you say, hey, Bob, Bob, looking for a Bob. <laughs> and someone will be like, uh, Bob's the guy over there in the purple hat. And you're like, cool, I know who Bob is. Now. Yep, thanks, Bob. Right. And then you find a place to play. Other mm-hmm. places will actually have at sets of chairs, mm-hmm. table one, two, three, right. four. And that makes it nice, but... A lot of game stores aren't set up like to actually do that. Yeah, so then you just go to the table number that is associated with your name. So you're like, yeah. oh, table seven, Brian Wakefield, okay. And you just go to table seven. Mm-hmm. And you usually, if you can, at, at a larger event, they're going to have the same like 
pairings piece of paper. Yeah, they'll just be a lot longer. It'll be a lot longer. They'll usually have them broke up into batches of the alphabet. Right. Uh, you should try to use the online pairings. They're about 50% to work in any given round. Yeah, and we're talking about like a Grand Prix now, not yeah, a, not an LGS event. Yeah, if you go to yeah. a Grand Prix, if you go to a larger event. Yeah, like or an a Open Grand Prix, or Regionals or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they're going to have the pairings will hopefully be electronic. So yeah. we told you about the Top Deck app before. Mm-hmm. If you set that up, they will email you. Their emails are sometimes a little late. Yeah, sometimes they're earlier than pairings actually go up also, though. Yeah, it, it's it's random, but yeah. but that's one way to get them. Uh, you can always rely on it because you don't know if they're going to be early or late. Right. Most large tournament providers are going to have some software. Mm-hmm. It's like pairings.channelfireball and then yep. pairings.starcity. I think so. Yeah, are the well, ways I think you it's get a pairings. CFB events slash pairings or something. Something like that, yeah. yeah. But you can get your pairings yeah. that way, so... It's a lot easier than fighting through nerds trying to look at your tiny little name on four sheets of yeah, paper. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like 12-point font. It's, yeah. like, it's easy to read. If you can, you want to find your opponent's name, mm-hmm. large event or small event. Right. Right. So then, like, if you go sit down at your table, you can be like... Are you Brian? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. they can be like, no, in the case, one of us is not where we're supposed to be. Correct. Right. So I guess the other way to get pairings is uh, a lot of stores now will have TVs and they have like... Yeah, they'll scroll pairings. They'll just scroll pairings. Mm-hmm. So that's another way that you can get them and you just look for your name to come up and it'll have the table number. Yep. This might be changing in the near future too. I don't know when it's supposed to roll out, but I believe Wizards is supposed to be incorporating a phone app into their event reporter so that it will push your pairings to your phone. Yeah. I don't know when that's supposed to happen, but I will believe this when I when see, you see it. it. Yeah, because didn't we get ads about it in Dominaria? Yes, and Dominaria was a long, long Teferi ago. <laughs> it was two Teferis ago. Yes. So okay, you've got your pairings. You yep. confirm that you're playing the right person. Mm-hmm. Right now, you need to decide who goes first. Yeah, right. like uh, I, I've witnessed arguments about this. Yeah, people who. Do not understand how dice work. Yeah, evidently people don't know how dice work. The typical way that people decide who goes first mm-hmm. is they will roll 2d6 mm-hmm. and they'll do high roll. Right. Whoever rolls the highest combination of the two dice gets to go first. So key is, again, this sounds super like douchey, but you need to decide clearly yeah what your means of determining who goes first is before you roll before you roll yeah so if you're like if you just roll a six and then they're and then they're like uh we're doing high roll right now <laughs> so you'll be like hey you know you want to roll high to see who goes first or whatever yeah. and then you roll the dice and then they roll the dice remember your number yeah some people want to do odd or even yep fine some people want to do low roll I've seen improper fraction or proper fractions. Highest proper fraction. That yeah. is the Logan special. Yeah. Um, um, I've seen rock, paper, scissors. So there are th- three, I guess they're tokens or the actual cards. No, they're actual cards from un- unglued. Yeah. It's like rock, lobster, paper, tiger, scissors, something, something. And they'll just like scissors, kind of, lizard. Yes. Yeah, scissors lizard. That's yeah. it. And they kind of do like a three card Monty. Right. And well, usually they'll shuffle them up and set them out and then have the opponent pick one for them and one for, like, one for each of us. Yeah. 
So. That way, the the person whose cards they are doesn't like know which right. one's which. Yeah, that's fine. Sure. Whatever. I think it's. What's your preference? I always just do like high roll. I do too. Like, I like I like it easy. I like that everybody knows what's going on, and like some people say, if you do what is it, odds or evens, it's faster because there's no chance of you getting like a number that you can't use, whereas if you high roll, we can both roll a six and then have to re-roll. Well, guess what? We could have re-rolled in the time it spent for me to explain that to you, and you didn't even say, huh. Yeah. So I had to explain it again. So. Just just do high roll. Yeah, I think high roll is just yeah, easiest. It's way, way easier. Keep your dice on the table. Yep. We have witnessed people bully people over, like, not understanding that, like, right. doing was it like they high roll is not a statistically relevant thing? Yeah, the I, don't know. I like, was at a Grand Prix and like the two people that were sitting down next to me spent the first 10 minutes of their round trying to determine what method they were going to use to determine who goes first. Like a judge was called, like just a judge be, was called, yes, again, uh, be a decent human, yeah, please be a decent human, it's being. fine. So the next thing, you've decided who goes first. You need to shuffle your deck in front of your opponent. Ideally, like, seven, like, mass shuffles. So when we say yep. mass shuffle, it's you break your you, – you cut your deck and mm-hmm. you kind of hold it and you kind of push the cards into each other on their side. That's why it's, sleeves are important. Yeah, makes that easier. Yep. People usually do that over riffle shuffling. Right. So, like, I usually will split my deck and then, like, throw, like, top and bottom mm-hmm. and then – mass shuffle and i do this a few times you want to hold your your deck so you can't see the bottom and your opponent and your opponent can't see the bottom so you want to kind of hold it at an angle i've seen people like flip their deck over and like riffle shuffle it and i'm like well i now know what you're playing right now i know what hands to keep and what hands to pitch yeah that might be something that you're not thinking about but your opponent might be like oh i now know what to do yeah right so when you shuffle this is harder when you start like pros make a big show of this of like looking away like they hold it like mm-hmm. you don't have to like just don't like stare at the deck as right. you like shuffle it I, I try and i try and make a show of it i try and look away like obviously yeah just so that there's no questions yeah shuffle and then you're going to present your deck mm-hmm. and your opponent should present their deck right ideally at the same time ideally at the same time like i'll present and like let them kind of do their yeah. thing now, when you present your deck, this is actually an important thing. Yeah. Your the, deck has to be legal when you present it. So right. what we mean is if you have a sideboard, all the cards in your sideboard need to still be in your sideboard. Mm-hmm. All the cards that you registered in your main deck have to be in your main have deck. Have to be in your main deck. Yep. So, um, oh, that's something we didn't talk about. Yeah. Ah. See, things you're going to forget. <laughs> but you, when you present your deck, you're presenting your legal game one deck. Right. And so at this point, you have your opponent's deck. Mm-hmm. I usually just will cut someone, just like split their deck in half and cut it. Mm-hmm. At like FNM, I do a lot of tapping of decks. I would just be like, yeah, your deck's good because like, I don't know, if you're going to cheat me at an FNM, like you're a terrible human and <laughs> I don't really care. If I'm playing somebody at the store that I've played multiple hundreds of games against, I will absolutely tap their deck. Normally, I try to go through the motions when I'm playing people that I don't normally play just to kind of keep the air of professionalism. Yeah. But the flip side, when I go to a large event, I always shuffle my opponent's deck. I cut opponent's decks. And if you've given me some reason to doubt you, 
I will shuffle your deck. I, I just get in the habit of shuffling my opponent's deck every round when I'm at a large event. Yeah. And you're allowed to do that. Yeah. Like that and so anytime they search their deck and yep. shuffle. So let's say they use a fabled passage and they go get a basic land. They yep. have to shuffle their deck and present it to you again mm-hmm. for you to cut or shuffle. Right. And that is just to make sure that they're not some like sleight of hand right. uh, wizard that has like put cards on top of their deck or done any other kind of like shadiness. Yeah. Now that sounds absurd, but that is totally a thing that has happened in the past. You can go watch videos of people yeah. doing it on camera right. in top eights of events yep. where like they will shuffle and you can like watch them like pull lands from the bottom of the deck and stick them on top. So the person's going to draw like a six land hand right. and have to mulligan. Yep. It's crazy. And you should not assume every, all your opponents are doing this because like that's just way too many calories and brain cells to burn. Yeah. But that Ma- is something that can happen. Professional magic now is a, a very different beast than it was 15 years ago. 15 years ago, it was your opponent was 100% going to cheat you. Right. It was basically NASCAR. Yeah, if you weren't cheating, you weren't trying. That's right. So, all right. We've shuffled. We've presented. We've decided who's going first. Mm-hmm. Another thing is you have to decide who goes first before you... Before you draw your first before hand. Before you draw your first hand. Yep, before resolving any mulligans. You have to know who's going first. Yep. So... Like, Arena takes care of that. It's like, you're going first. Here's a hand. Yeah. Right? Well, in in best of one, it says you're going first. Here's a hand. In best of three, if you won the die roll or whatever, it asks you if you want to play or draw first. And then, yeah. Yeah. So it takes care of that for you. Yep. Where here, you're going to do the same thing, but you're doing it, you know, analog, Mm old-timey style. That's right. There is one more thing that we glossed over, though. Okay. After you determine who goes first, you then have to resolve mulligans, right? Mm-hmm. So the person who is playing first gets to decide if they're keeping their hand first. Okay. Right? I definitely don't do this right. Oh, okay. I, I always make sure to do it this way. Okay. I, your way is the more right way. Yeah. Like, I'll just snap off and be like, yeah, I'm all getting this. Well, I mean, you can you can gain information by doing it this way, though. Yeah, you can. So the the person who's going to be going first has to decide if they're keeping their hand first or not. Keeping their seven. And each subsequent mulligan. Each like subsequent If zone. you both mulligan, they have to decide first again. And you can get information based off of that. Like, if you're going second and your opponent mulligans, you can say, okay, well, I have this seven-card hand here. Am I okay with a seven-card hand with my opponent on six cards? I have one land in a thought seize. I'm probably fine. Right. Or like, oh, no, I, I don't think I can. I still don't think I can keep this. Yeah. So, so the way that it works is, you know, we'll say Brian's going first and James is going second. Um, and I'll be like, okay, we both draw. We both draw our I'll seven. I'll be like, mm, I'll keep. Okay. And then I will look at my hand. And, I mean, you can be looking at your hand, but yeah. then I'll say, okay, I'll keep. There are some people that like take this to like what I think is an idiotic extreme where they won't even pick up their cards. Yeah, I've seen people do this. Until you've like decided if you're going to keep your mall. Now, like at GPs, mm-hmm. I have like agonized yeah. over hands that I'm 100% sending back. Right. And just been like, and they'll be like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to mulligan mine. I'm like, yeah, I guess I will too. Yeah. <laughs> like it's no land, no or action. Or vice versa. If I have a snap keep, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. So it's risky. 
Yeah. No, this hand's great. <laughs> yeah. But, again, that's something that you don't get in arena right. is, like, that kind of, like, gamesmanship in person. Yeah, the Not enough saying, like, don't, like, act a fool. You're not trying to get an Academy Award here. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you you can get things. But, yeah, you've got to decide the order for mulligans. Yep. Let's kind of go through, I don't know how much detail we can get into, uh, but let's go into, like, navigating a turn. Okay. So the first turn of the game is different than every other turn. It is. Right. There's two things that are different. Well, the first thing is is there's no untap step. Okay, there's three things different. So there's no untap step because you have no permanence to untap. Correct. And then I guess uh, another thing is you have to announce any pregame actions. Yep. The ones right now that are pertinent for standard are the ley lines. Yep, and the scry sphinx, right? Yes, sphinx of uh, foresight. Yep. If you have those cards in your opening hand, you need to say, I have pregame effect. So what you do yep. is you resolve mulligans, you let your opponent do their thing. And it's easier when you're on the when you're on the play because mm-hmm. you kind of like dictate the pace of the turn. Right. And you can be like, okay, you're good. Okay, I have pregame effects. Right. Right. When you're on the draw, you, it's a little harder because mm-hmm. you have to be like, okay, I'm going to keep my hand. Or like, okay, I'm going to we'll say like, I'll keep or I'm good or whatever. And you have to be like, okay wait a second, yeah. before you like play your land or whatever, I have free game effects. So you've got to try to like get it in there. Yeah, you, like you don't want to say it too early because that can affect your opponent's mulligan decisions. Yes. So th- there is kind of a fine line you have to walk there. You have to let them decide on what hand they're keeping. You're right. And then give them the information of here's my ley line yeah. or here's my scryfinx. Yeah, it, it might sound kind of awkward, but a lot of times like I'll see my opponent like start to play a land or something and i'll say whoa 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 whoa, whoa. you're keeping that hand just to make sure that like everybody's yeah. on the same page yeah and then at that point you can say okay i have pregame effects or you know whatever yeah again like at an fnm if you're a little slow on the draw hopefully your opponent's just like yeah it's fine yeah right at a gp if you're slow on the draw your opponent's gonna be like no dog yeah you missed it you missed it right so like there's that fine line mm-hmm and then if you're on the play, there's no draw step. Upkeep, mm-hmm. usually nothing happens in the first upkeep unless it's like Scryfinx, which says right. on your upkeep. So you have to like show the fink- Sphinx mm-hmm. and then remember like... Remember your trigger. Remember the trigger to scry yeah. in your upkeep or in your in your first upkeep when you're on the draw. If you're on the, on the play, you don't draw a card. Correct. And then you get to the main phase. Mm-hmm. So... You don't usually have to talk through any of, like, after you've resolved mulligans and yeah. you're like, okay, I'm keeping, are you keeping, cool, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to go, or like, okay, I'm going to pull, and then you start, Yep. right? You don't have to be like, untap, upkeep, draw. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, if it helps, you do it. Yeah, but, but you don't have to. Yeah. Uh, and then you play, we'll play your land for a turn mm-hmm. in your first main phase. Probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> right. So... You play your land, you play your spell, yep. and then after you've played your land and, and you just be like, you'll say like, go. Right. Right? Like some people like just kind of like meekly gesture at you. Yeah. Right? Like be a person who uses words. Right. We spent, it's important to be clear. We spent thousands of years developing them. Like just <laughs> bust them out every so often. Just be like, you're up or go. Or, yeah. Right? So now you've passed the turn. So when, when you say go, mm-hmm. 
uh, what do you say? Like your turn, right? You're basically erasing the rest of the turn, right? Right. So you're unless saying, your opponent does something. Yeah, you're saying like, hey, I have nothing to do until until you do something. So it's like hitting that little like arrow. Yeah, the one that says auto pass or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it will auto pass until your opponent does something, mm-hmm. or it'll go to their turn. Right. On your first turn, if you've played your land and played a spell, more than likely you're just like. Go. Unless you're playing Bowmat Courier. Unless you're playing Bowmat Courier. I was trying to think of uh, Tin Street Dodger. Sure. Right. But you pass the turn to your opponent. Yep. They're going to do the same thing. Untap, upkeep. Now they're going to draw. Because mm-hmm. they went second. They went second. Main phase, land, spell, yep. probably. And then go again. Mm-hmm. Now, back to your turn. The first thing you're going to do on your turn is you're going to untap. The first thing. The first thing. Right. You're not going to draw your card. You're not right. going to like do upkeep stuff. Right. You untap first. Right. Now. All of your things. All of the things. Unless not they like, say otherwise. Yes. Not like your lands and not your creatures and right. not like just untap everything. Right. That is like a surefire way to tell if someone is like experienced or not. Or nervous. Or nervous. I've it's, seen a lot of exper- like nervous experienced people like fudge up their beginning of turn sequences yeah. but like if every turn they're like drawing on their cards and, un- and being like oh I should, yeah. I should untap my stuff it's yeah. like or like they go to combat and realize they never untap their creatures but they've yeah. already cast four spells yeah it's like i guess that should be untapped and it's like yeah we all know yeah right and this is something that uh someone at the store who had been crushing his son uh, was sad to find out you can't miss your untap you cannot so if you like you forget to untap your stuff you just get to untap it. Yeah, it is something that just happens. Right. Like drawing a card. Yeah, it just happens. Yeah. So untap happens, untap all of your stuff. The reason right. this is important is I don't think there's anything in standard right now. But, like, say during your upkeep, you have a card that says pay one or sacrifice it. Right. If you haven't untapped your lands, you can't pay one. Right. Right. So you need to have your mana available Mm because you might need to do stuff in your upkeep Mm -hmm. before you get to your draw step. Right. Right? Like, let's say you cast a fabled pass, use the fabled passage to get an island, Mm -hmm. and you're like, I want to opt in my upkeep for whatever reason. For whatever reason. Well, you need to have your island untapped so you can opt. Mm -hmm. So you do whatever you need to do. If there are things that say during your upkeep do blah mm-hmm. so like doom foretold right during your upkeep as soon as so you token untap that trigger goes on the stack immediately yeah there's nothing that you can do before that goes on the stack because it says it's the beginning of your upkeep yeah so like you untap and now that thing is on the stack right you can respond to it with instance mm-hmm. or whatever but you can't Take it off the stack. Take it off the stack. It yep. is there, and it will resolve. Yep. Probably. Probably. It has to resolve. Even if Doom Foretold goes away, it resolves. Um, isn't there counter-triggered uh, ability? Of uh, Tail's End, yeah. sure. If your opponent has gone that deep, good on him. Hey, my round one opponent was Tail's Ending his Lotus Field triggers. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my god, we broke it! Um, no. no, no, did not break it. He ended up with the buy in round five. Oh god, yeah. Oh god, yeah. Thanks, round one opponent. Um, woo. do whatever you need to do in the upkeep, mm-hmm. 
and then you get your draw step. When you go to your draw step, the first thing that happens is you draw a card. The first thing that happens. The first thing that happens. Yep. You can't respond to going to your draw step by doing anything. Right. You're like, draw. You would have had to do it during the upkeep. Yes. Now, it doesn't happen as much in standard, mm-hmm. but you or your opponent can do things in the draw step before you go to your main phase. Correct. The thing that happens most in standard is people playing Teferi, Time Raveler, and plus oneing, mm-hmm. and then casting Thought Erasure in your draw step. Right. But and it doesn't happen that much anymore. Doesn't happen that much anymore. That's usually like the only time something happens in the draw step other than drawing your card. Yep. Right. Then you go to your main phase again. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's say we have a creature now. Now right. we have a creature. We have a, we have a, we had a creature from last turn. We're good. Yep. So unless you need the mana for the turn mm-hmm. for, for that combat, ideally you don't play a land during your first main phase. Right. The general rule of thumb, and I think we've talked about this before is you want to play everything. You want to give as little information as possible. Yeah, you want to play everything as late as possible. So you want to. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to want to attack with that creature. Let's say, mm-hmm. right? You're going to want to go from your main phase to the combat phase. Mm-hmm. And now, if you go to the combat phase, there's a pass in priority, and we've kind right. of glossed over this. We talked about uh, priority, priority before. Of, yeah. yeah, we did a pr- pretty good episode on that, yeah. which you should check out if you haven't listen to it yet. I think it was like who has priority or something. I think so. So you're going to go to your your attack phase and you're going to give your opponent a chance to do something. Mm-hmm. Your opponent can't do anything on your turn mm-hmm. unless you have done something first or you've right. tried to go to a new phase. Right. Right. You going to a new phase is you doing something. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't do anything on your opponent's turn until they have done something. Right. Or they try to go to a new phase. So you say... And so this is like the big kind of first shortcut that Mm -hmm. everyone takes for granted that sometimes matters. Well, I mean, people shortcut the upkeep a lot too. Yeah. Uh, But that is like saying go to combat. Yeah. So go to combat is you're shortcutting all the way to the declare Declare, attacker step. So in combat, right? So on arena, they actually stop it now. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, you go and you go directly into beginning of combat. Beginning of combat. So, at beginning of combat, you're in this spot where it's no longer main phase. Main phase. So you can't cast creatures mm-hmm. or you know things without flash. But you haven't yet tapped your creatures and made them attacking. Right. So th- there are some things that matter here. Um, crewing vehicles, you can do during beginning of combat. Also, some creatures have. Beginning of combat triggers. So Goblin Rabble Master, or I guess Legion War Boss now. Uh, yes. At the beginning yep. of combat, make a 1-1 a one, one Goblin. Yep. yep. Also, this is the point if you're the defending player that you might want to tap a creature. Mm-hmm. Because now like you've used your mana and they can't play like a hasty creature mm-hmm. in this window. Right. Because you're out of the main phase. Right. So, like, Giant Killer, you'd want to use in the beginning of combat. Or Avon Tactician. Yep. The tap two creatures. Yep. So, you do that here. Then you, but if you say go to combat, you shortcut all the way to I'm going to declare by attackers. Mm-hmm. Now, like, go to combat, like, make a goblin, like, is usually fine. Mm-hmm. 
but technically if you have like a beginning of combat trigger you should be like go to the beginning of combat right so you have the space to do that mm-hmm. so when we had vehicles that was like people would say like go to combat and they would jump all the way to declare attackers and, and their vehicle that. was not a creature right right so you could be like you have to say like go to combat crew my vehicle like mm-hmm. kind of all in one yeah. thing or just like go to the beginning of combat Yep. And give yourself that space. Yeah, this is also, like you mentioned, Goblin Rabble Master makes a goblin during the beginning of combat. Goblin Rabble Master also says all other goblins have to attack. Yes. So in this beginning of combat step, this is where you would, if you wanted to use that creature for something besides attacking, this is where you would do it. Yeah, you make it and then you let it crew a vehicle. Right. Or you use it to cast a convoke spell. Right. So then when you are at the declare attackers phase at this point if you're in declare attackers your opponent doesn't have priority right and so they at this point can't tap your creatures correct right so what ends up usually happening is your opponent will be like go to combat and then you might say like people will be like well i'm going to tap two things Mm -hmm. right the I think the gentleman's understanding is we're at the beginning of combat. Yeah. But it can be, especially in like high leverage mm-hmm. uh, tournaments, the go to combat and then you tap something. Yeah. Someone could be like, oh, I'm still in my main phase. I'm going to do something now. Yeah. Right. That person's terrible. Yes. But depending on the judge. I got nailed with that one once. Yeah. Depending on the judge, they may or may not yeah. fix it. So if you want to do something in the beginning of combat, like tap creatures, Mm -hmm. if they're like, go to combat, you can be like, we'll go to the beginning of combat. Correct. And then that gets you out of them being able to cast a hasty threat. Mm -hmm. It sucks. It's semantics. Yeah. But now if they say go to the beginning of combat, or if they say go to combat and you say, we'll go to the beginning of combat, they Mm -hmm. can't go like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, no, before that. No, 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 no. You've already committed to (laughs) going to combat. Right. Right. No takes these backsies. Yes. So this where you, so once you've got to now declare attackers, you've mm-hmm. done all your stuff in the beginning of combat. If there's anything you need to do, at declare attackers, you tap all the creatures that you want. You declare attackers right. all at the same time. Correct. It's kind of like poker where you're not allowed to do string bets. Right. You're not allowed to do like string attacks. You're not allowed to like attack with two things. See if your opponent flinches. Yeah. Attack with another thing. See if they weep, attack with a fourth <laughs> thing, see if they scoop. No, you have to like be like, okay, I'm going to attack with these things. Yeah, sometimes like if I haven't completely planned out an attack, but I've like gone to combat and I'm declaring attackers, I will like tap the guys that I know I'm attacking with. And be like, wait a second, I've got to figure out the rest. Yeah, or like I'll hold a car, hold one of my other creatures in my hand, or like keep my hand on it. As to show that I'm not done declaring my attacks yet. Yeah. So. I mean, I will go as far as, like, as I'm declaring the attackers, mm-hmm. I will line up the blocks. Be like, well, here's how they're going to block. Yeah. Am I happy with how this turns out? Mm-hmm. Or but how you think they're going to block. Yeah, how you think they're going to block. Yeah. Right? But you you want to declare all you want to, like, attack and be like, these are my attacks. Mm-hmm. So once you've declared your attackers, yep. your opponent gets to... Respond. Have a response because yep. you're going from the declare attackers phase. Right, to declare blocks. To declare blocks. So 
they can cast spells there and you can respond just like the the transition of any other phase. Yep, but at this point it's too late to tap a creature, right? Yeah, you can't then be like, "Oh, oh, you cast Doomblade. Yeah. You baked my guy into a pie. I'm going to attack with something else." Right. Nope, that ship has sailed. Right. You have to like plan like, "Well, if they kill my guy, would I want to have this other creature attacking?" Mhm. Yes, I would. So I should maybe plan for them to kill it. Mhm. Right. So then they go to declare blockers, yep. and they get to make all of their blocks. Right. And this is where they can assign double blocks, mm-hmm. and they can... Or triple blocks. Or, or triple blocks or whatever, but yeah. they can assign all of their blocks. And we're not going to talk about banding. No. Okay. No. Or flanking. <laughs> um, or Bushido. Or Bushido. So at this point, you're, sometimes your opponent will be like, I will tell you when my blocks are done. Right. Right. Again... Usually not necessary, but sometimes people will get antsy and try to start casting spells before blocks are assigned. Right. Right. So this just makes sure you don't do something Mm -hmm. out of order. Yeah. A lot of times when I'm playing a game and I see my opponent has, it looks like they're done making their blocks, I'll ask. I'll say, are these your blocks? And then they'll say yes or no. Yeah. And you can move on from there. Yeah. And... Once they've declared their blocks, if there are any multiple blocks, this is a thing that gets shortcut all the time. You have to order blockers. Correct. And you can do it. And so order blockers means, let's say you have a 4-4 and they have three toughness creature and a two toughness creature. Right. Right. You have to pick which one you deal damage to first Mm -hmm. and which one you deal damage to second. Right. So if they have... A three toughness creature and a two toughness creature, and you want to kill the three toughness creature. You have to, you have to order damage it there first. first. Yeah. So you go to blocks, and ideally, you like are like, okay, I'm going to order blockers this then this. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, what'll end up happening is that gets glossed over. Yeah. And you'll just be like, well, at the end, you're like, I'll do three to this and yeah, and one to that, and you're supposed to do it beforehand. Mm-hmm. So if they have a pump spell, right they know which creature to cast the pump spell on to save. Correct. So whatever there's a multiple block, you need to be like, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. Arena, like a window pops up. Yeah, it shows you. It you, shows you can you. picture that in your head too while you're playing your game. If yeah. it helps you like understand what's happening. Yes, yeah, so you can think about the arena interface. Mm-hmm. Like That's how I've learned a lot of rules is having watched people play on Magic Online. Yeah. I see the stack. Right in kind of the arena slash magic online interface mm-hmm. of how things work. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect, but it works well enough. Yeah. I, back when I played Rally and Standard, I used to like use the cards as the stack. And lay them all out. I would lay them out in the order that I wanted to resolve them in and say, okay, these are my triggers. Here they are. Let's work through this stack. Yeah. And that way you had something to go through. So you order the blockers... And there's no priority when you order blockers. You're Correct. still kind of in declare attackers, yeah. kind of like you're just bookkeeping stuff. Yep. It's like draw a card during your draw phase. Yeah, it's just something that has to happen. Yep. Then there's like going to damage. There's a round of priority. There's a round of priority. Yeah. So you've attacked, blocks have been made. Now you have a chance to cast pump spells mm-hmm. or removal spells. Yep, or whatever you're going to do. As the attacking player, as you know, you have to make the first move. Yep. Right? So this is a place that newer players will mess themselves up. They'll be blocking. Mm -hmm. And they'll be like, these are my blocks. Pump spell. Right. And it's like, well, no. (laughs) 
no, you didn't have priority to cast that pump spell. Right. Right. Now I know you have it. Right. Or you've already cast it. Right. I will do something in response now. Like kill it. Like kill it. So now you have not used your pump spell well. Right. And you want to be clear, like if you're the blocking player, Mm -hmm. this happened at the PTQ, right? If your opponent like makes an attack and then kind of stares at you. Right. Like, can we go to blocks? Right. You can, you can ask like, Mm -hmm. are you, are your attacks done? Have you done all your stuff? Yep. Is it my turn to do something? You shouldn't rush someone through, right? But you kind of get like the natural like flow of a game, and having yeah. played, even played someone a few turns, you know like what their cadence is, and yeah, if like it feels off, and, yeah, you can be like, can can we go? Can we go to attacks? And some people are just awkward too. So. Yeah, can we can we go to blocks now? Yeah, right. So you've ordered your blockers, you have your priority pass, and then you assign damage. Mm-hmm. First strike damage. Happens, happens first. first. So all the creatures that have first strike mm-hmm. are going to deal their damage first. Or double strike. Or double strike. Yep. And that damage is going to happen to the creatures and... To players. Players simultaneously. All right. the first strike damage happens at once. Right. And then all your regular damage and all that damage happens simultaneously. There's also a round of priority in between... In between first strike and... Yep. Yes. Yep. So you have... So just like on Arena, like it's like... Go to first strike damage, mm-hmm. then it's like go to damage. Correct. Because there's a round of priority in there. So you can yep. like, you know, kill one creature and then... Sack it to something. Sack it to something. Yeah. Or, you know, like I will, you know, I'll kill your creature with my double strike guy, mm-hmm. but he's going to die. So I'm going to sack him to the witch's oven. Right. There's priority there. And then you have regular damage mm-hmm. and that all happens simultaneously. Right. So everything... That would die. Mm-hmm. Dies at the same dies time. Dies at the same time. And all their triggers, if there are any, go on the stack. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the damage taken by the players happen at the same time. Mm-hmm. If a creature has lifelink, mm-hmm. it deals the damage and you gain the life at simultaneously. The same time. Yep. Arena does a terrible job at this. Yeah, many it just of you, does it. Many, but many of you have seen your opponent go to negative three yeah. and then to one. Yeah. Right, that's not how it actually works. Right, it's they never went to negative three; they just went to one, one. because they took three damage and they gained four life from their four four life linker, so yeah. they did not die. So that is how that works. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so everything dies. Yep. Anything intricate go on the stack at that point. Mm-hmm. And so, if there are multiple triggers. The active player's triggers happen first. Mm-hmm. And again, we went through most of this during our priority episode. So we're not going to go as in-depth into yeah. priority right now as we did in that episode. If it's something that you're interested in, by all means, go back and check that episode out. It was a good one. Yeah. And then there is... So after all the triggers resolved, there's yep. this weird nebulous place. Yeah. It does exist. It's called the end of combat. Most people don't realize it exists. So you actually, after damage is dealt and everything goes to the graveyard, you go to the end of combat step. Yep. For the most part, this doesn't matter. Right. But Almost if, always it doesn't matter. But in limited a lot, there are cards that say... Attacking creature or s- blocking creature. Yeah, like deal four to an attacking creature. Right. Sacrifice, target player sacrifices an attacking creature. Mm-hmm. Right. So say they have two attacking creatures, you're able to kill the smaller one and you can take the hit from the bigger one. Yep. Well, okay, now they only have one creature. Mm-hmm. 
technically that creature's still attacking because it's still in combat. Yeah, you just so, turned an edict into a removal spell. Yeah, so now you can be like, well, I can definitely kill this creature now. Yep. So I will use my spell here. Again, that comes up seldomly. Mm-hmm. Then you get back to second main phase. So mm-hmm. again, priority pass at the end of combat that usually gets glossed over. Usually you put your cards in the trash can that, <laughs> that died and you just go into the next combat. Well, in, hopefully in they'll go just phase. into your graveyard, not the actual trash can. Yeah, yeah. Well, these cards did me no good. <laughs> I guess they're gone. I guess they're gone. <laughs> then you go to your second main phase mm-hmm. and you work through that just like your first main phase. You're going to play your land, play your instants and sorceries. Yep. So one of the things I've got to ask in this is like, do you have to announce when you're playing a land? Like you have to say like, I play mountain. Mm-hmm. No. Right. You don't have to. Right. You also don't have to, this is more of an etiquette thing, like read your cards to people. Like oh. newer players have a tendency to be yeah. like, I play Tin Street Dodger. This is a one mana one one with yeah. haste and I can pay one red mana and it cannot be blocked except for, uh, except for by walls. Mm-hmm. And like, no, don't do that. Assume your <laughs> opponent knows like, what these cards are that you are playing. Well, I mean, that kind of comes back to knowing your opponent, though. And yeah. that, that might be a little bit above or beyond the scope of what we're trying to get through here. But, like, if I'm playing against somebody that I know is pretty new to the game, I'll read my cards to them. If I'm at a pre-release, I will try and read all of my cards at least for the first couple rounds. Mm-hmm. That way, like, everybody is kind of on the same page. Yeah. And that's really, like, that's kind of what all this boils down to, is that you need to make sure that everybody's on the same page. There can't be any confusion. There can't be, like, any ambiguity. Like, everybody has to know what's happening. Yeah. When you cast a spell, you don't have to announce the the mana cost that you're playing, unless right. it's, like, particularly, like, tricky. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you got a, a bunch of lands... You don't need to be like, you know, you don't have to like say it like I'm tapping mountain, swamp, forest for, yeah. right? You know, but if you if it's a card that's like, you know, Niv-Mizzet and you have a bunch of dual lands, you can yeah. be like, okay, like red, green, white, black, blue, mm-hmm. and tap all your dual lands to show that you have all the mana. Yeah. That's fine, but you don't have to do it for like every spell i'm gonna tap three colorless yeah like adamant cared if you use the right colors man yeah color of mana so that mm-hmm. might be a point where you like would here's red say, red red yep but like if it's just like i'm gonna cast sarah angel three white white right like tap two planes and three other things we're good right the only time that i will not do that is if i'm purposefully like floating mana through a spell and if you're floating mana you have to announce what colors of mana you're floating when yeah. you float it yeah so and you're supposed to keep track of it on with pen and paper now. Yep. So if you're going to float a green, you have to like write down one green floating. Right. Yeah, you don't have to announce like everything. Mm-hmm. Like usually, Unless it matters. Yeah, usually you'll like play a spell and be like, you'll be like Sarah Angel. Yeah. And like, especially your opponent's playing blue to see if it resolves. So you always want to give your opponent like a chance to respond to your mm-hmm. spell. And they might say like, okay, or resolves. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so you've gone through your main phase two, yep. you go to the end of combat or you go to the end of turn, right? So the end of turn, you have the end step end step, which your opponent or you, you can 
do stuff in or right. your opponent can do stuff in. Right. There are also a few cards that like trigger in um, the end, end step. step. Yep. Right. Like during your end step, sacrifice this mm-hmm. or exile this. Your opponent will often do stuff in the end step. Mm-hmm. You need to be clear when you're doing stuff like in your opponent's end step. Right. So they know it's in their end step and not during your turn. Right. They might say like, go to end step. You're like, okay, in your end step, do thing, do thing. Kill your guy, cast yeah. an opt, whatever. Yeah. And then after end step, there's cleanup. And nothing right. can happen in cleanup. Right. Cleanup is like untap. Yeah. It happens here. You remove all damage from creatures. Yes. Right? Arena just does this for you. You remove all your damage. If you have to discard a card to hand size, Mm -hmm. this is where this happens. Yep. You can just, like, move all the way to discard. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, if you've discarded your card or, like, gone to cleanup, your opponent can't do anything. Yes. Kind of. Depending on how how awful you've been as a player. Like, if you just say, go to clean up and throw a card in your graveyard, like, you, you really didn't give your opponent a chance to no, do you anything say go to, you say go to clean up, and they're like, okay. Well, yeah, that's what I mean, though. It's like, you have to give them a chance to respond. You yeah. can't just say, go to clean up and slam a card in your graveyard. Yeah. Uh, then, by all rights, you should unslam that card. Right. Right. But, like, if you're in clean up and you're, like, discarding a hand side or whatever, they can't, mm-hmm. like, wait for you to discard your cards and yeah. then do something. They right. have to do something before before that. Yeah. Right? Because they can't do anything in your cleanup step. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you go to your opponent's turn. Yep. Right? And then you get to do it all over again. You get to do it all over again. But, like, being clear with, like, the mana that you tap right. to cast your spells is important. Like, making sure you have the right amount of mana for things. Mm-hmm. Uh, being organized. Yep. Uh, a quick thing about like battlefield layout. Mm-hmm. This is you know something you don't think of. Keep things neat as neat as possible. Yeah. In terms of like your lands, yeah. I try to like separate my lands. Yeah. Like when I'm playing like blue red, right? I've got four steam vents, four temples, mountains and islands, mm-hmm. and two castles. I try to put. The steam vents together, the Mm -hmm. temples together, the mountains, the islands, and the castles. Mm -hmm. That way my opponent and me can see what mana I have. And there's no fear that, like, I'm trying to sneak by, like, oh, you don't have two blue. Right. It's like, no, no, here's an island, a temple, and a steam vent. I've got blue for days. I understand what you're saying there, but you don't always need to, like, separate your duels. Like yeah. if you're not playing anything that cares about like islands or mountains, you can just put like all your red blue duels together, and then you can. all your plane or all your islands together, all your mountains together. What you want to do is you want to avoid like the the pile of lands. Yeah. Right. The people that just like well either one will like stack all their lands together like in one pile, and you're like, yeah. well, how many islands do you have there? Yeah. A pile. Yeah. Like, no, like lay out the five islands so I that, can see them. Yeah. That is the number one way for me to check your lands is if you scoop all your lands up and put them into a pile and drop them on the table tapped, I am a hundred percent going to tell you to pick that pile up and lay them out for me so I can make sure you can cast your spell. Yeah. Or, you know, if you have like a kind of a messy pile of like lands everywhere. Yeah. Right. Every people are going to be like, did you actually have green for that? Yeah. Where where'd that come from? Mm-hmm. And you can just avoid that by 
having your lands neat and organized. Yep. You're allowed to ask. I had someone ask me, like, if you're trying to mill some out in, someone out in Eldrain draft, mm-hmm. you can ask them how many cards are in your deck. Correct. And they can count. Yes. Like, don't do this like every other turn. Right. But, like, you can be like, how many cards do you have left? Like, 12. Yeah. Okay. That is open information, though. Yeah. How many cards are in your hand? Those are things you can ask. Again, yeah. like, you know, try to, like, keep track of it. Yeah. Try to avoid, like, asking, like, every turn. Or how multiple m- times during a turn. Yeah. How many cards do you have? Yeah. Five. How many cards do you have? The same five <laughs> I had two seconds ago. Yeah. But you're allowed to ask that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I draw my cards with my left hand. So I keep my deck on the left-hand side. Most people keep their deck on the right. I keep mine on the right. I hold my cards with my right, and I draw with my left. Okay. I usually put my graveyard behind my mm-hmm. library. Me too. So whatever side it's on, you just put your graveyard behind it. Yep. If your opponent wants to, like, you can do it on Arena. Like You can click on their graveyard and look through it. Yep. You can look at your opponent's, look at graveyard. Your opponent's graveyard. That is the hole in my game. I hardly ever look through <laughs> anyone's graveyard. Yeah. But they can look through your graveyard. That's perfectly fine. So what do you do with your exile stuff? I do one of two things. I will either turn it perpendicular to mm-hmm. my deck and put it under my graveyard. Yeah, that's usually what I or do. Or I will turn it perpendicular to my deck and put it in front of my graveyard yeah. or in front of my uh, deck. Yeah. So that it's clear that these are not. Yeah. That these have been exiled. Yeah. And like playing like. Kethis or like cards decks that require the graveyard mm-hmm. you have to be a little bit more mindful of uh, how you organize your graveyard yeah just to be like clear like these are in exile right so let's say you're playing a deck that's like focused on the graveyard mm-hmm. and you only care about like creatures that are in your graveyard yeah. you can in standard pioneer and modern Correct. you can curate the order of your graveyard. Yeah, be so like, you could pull all the creatures out and set like, them on top. These are the cards that matter. These cards don't. Like, I've had, like, the three-pile graveyard of, yeah. like, these cards don't matter. These cards matter. These cards matter for this other thing. And right. then go through and do stuff. You know, it's clearer for you so you don't mess things up. Mm-hmm. It's also clearer for your opponent because... Yeah. Hopefully they know that the jig is up and they know what you're doing when you've right. like got 40 cards in your graveyard and you've got them in three piles. <laughs> like you're not leaking a whole lot of information there. Oh, yeah. he's trying to put cats stuff, out of the bag at that point. Trying to put stuff in his graveyard. <laughs> um, there are little tricks that you can do as well to like help you not forget triggers. Mm-hmm. The big one is when you have upkeep triggers before you draw. Yeah, put something on top of your put deck. Put something on top of your deck. I think for the entire. Um, PTQ. Whenever I had an upkeep trigger, you put your deck. Box I put on my deck, deck box on top of it. I just yeah. would pick up my deck box and sit on. Because like I have watched people pick up the die on top of their deck and draw their card. Oh, I've done it before. Yeah, so have I. Yeah. But like the deck box, you're like, why is this deck box here? <laughs> oh yeah, right. That's right. You're not technically allowed to put stuff like on top of your like actual cards on top of your deck. Right. Right. So you can't be like, oh. I have a spell that has rebound. That means you get to cast it a second time. Yeah. You can't put that card on top of your deck. Right. At like a competitive REL event. Could you put it on top of a die on top of your deck? Maybe, but I don't know. I just know you can't lay it yeah. like face up on top of your deck. I think that's what the issue is, is because the card could have been in your deck. Yeah. But if you put something in between it and your deck... Yeah. That might be all right. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, but you're not just supposed to say, like, this rebound spell is on top of my deck now. Right. Like, no. 
going back to the graveyard stuff, like if there's like cards with flashback, mm-hmm. you can set those out so you remember them or jumpstart. Mm-hmm. Right. So okay, I'm not gonna forget this. This has jumpstart. Yeah. Okay, so we go to Theros, whatever the uh, the graveyard mechanic yeah, w- is. What is it? Come back. Escape. Or... Escape. Yep. Right. You can set your escape cards so you don't forget about them. Yeah. Because I have won and lost many a game because I forgot like mm-hmm. I had a jumpstart spell in my graveyard. Yep. I have too. Right. Like you can't take it out of your graveyard. Yeah. But you can put it on top of your graveyard. Right. So you're like, oh yeah, I have this. Or you, or you can could f- kind of like pull them off to the side. Yeah. Like, like still I have them in your graveyard. Like I have these three jumpstart spells and fan them out. Yeah. Right. Because you're not going to get that arena interface where it's just like, hey, it shows you that you can cast it. My cat flipped over and now my cat's over by my hand because I can do something with it. Yeah. No, you've got to keep track of that yourself. Yep. Like if anything gets complicated, you can like talk. You and your opponent can talk through it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Okay, in response to that, I'm going to do this. I'm going right. to cast this spell or things like that. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and like I said, that's basically what it, what it all comes down to is that both players need to make sure everything is clear and in the open and above board as much as possible. Um, just treat treat your opponent like you would like to be treated. Another thing that we have on here that we didn't get to was uh, double check life totals when they change. Yeah, so this is when, a big one. So when you do something, you can be like, okay, I've got it 15, 14. Right. And the number of, like, in, like, modern and legacy, the number of fetch lanes I miss is, like, yeah. infinite. Yeah. And I'm just like... all the time. They're like, oh, aren't you at this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, my bad. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my yeah. fault. I will, uh, every single time life totals change... I will verify both players' life total. Yeah, and this is where, like, having pen and paper yeah. to track it matters because, like, I'm like, I have you at 18. You're like, well, no, I have myself at 19. They're like, oh, you had a mm-hmm. – I have a one and a one. I was like, oh, yeah, I did fetch twice. Or, yeah, yep. you got in with your Lana War Elf yep, or whatever. I play Jund a lot. The number of times my opponent has forgotten to mark t- down the two damage from Thoughtseize is astronomical. Yeah, so this helps mm-hmm. a lot. Yep. And just a couple other things real quick to recap. You should ask before moving to combat. Yes. Like before you, you know, declare all your attackers, you should say move to combat. Yeah. Or again, go to beginning of combat if you need to do something there. Yeah. Yeah. You should pause for a second before you draw your card just to make sure that your opponent doesn't have something they want to squeak in before you draw your card. doesn't have to be long. doesn't have to be like super obvious. Don't even really have to say anything. Just, just make sure you pause for a second. Yeah. Like, like you know, when you say go to combat or go to whatever, like waiting for some sort of acknowledgement. Yep. That way you know they've kind of processed it. Yep. If you're going to take a shortcut, try and be as specific as possible. Like you mentioned, go to beginning of combat. Yeah. That's a very specific point you would like to go to. Same thing happens at your end step. If you say go to my end step, that's a lot different than go to discard. Or go to cleanup, yeah. Right. So just be specific about what you're trying to do. Unless you go like way overboard and announce every little thing that you're doing, Like these are all things that people do. Yeah. Like Don't feel bad about saying go to cleanup or you know, pass turn like yeah, if you're not like, doing anything. But you don't have to go like untap upkeep draw my main phase you don't have to like do that yeah like assume some like familiarity with the game Mm -hmm. but like for specific points that you want to get to right you can definitely do stuff Mm -hmm. you have down here also like i think we touched on this like 
if you have a breeding pool, you don't have to like be like tap this for blue, tap my forest for green. Right. Right. If you're casting a hydrid crisis, you can go, you know, yeah. Tap my the old pool. arm. Yeah, like <laughs> we've got a blue and a green and all the other mana. We're yeah. gonna go to town. Yeah, we're good. Right. So again, don't be afraid one to call a judge. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you feel like your opponent might be trying to like do the land stack thing and like tap lands they don't have the mana they don't give them the right mana for a spell you can ask right right it gets confusing sometimes it does if you ever feel like you know like if something happens and you think you and your opponent says they won and you're not sure like stop and think about it before you pick up all your stuff yeah because you can't undo it i had my opponent the ptq ask me for four turns if i was at six and i confirmed each time i was yeah and they went and got a chandra yeah and then said chandra next six kill you and i was like i read chandra again and chandra was in my deck and i was like am i a creature or a planeswalker yeah no i was like okay you cannot do this <laughs> correct so just like take a second yeah like i remember years ago you had a game that you lost because your opponent flashed an arresto angel and blinked your creature yeah. or something yeah and you were like, oh, I guess I'm dead. Yeah. And uh, Resto Angel can't blink your opponent's creatures. Correct. Yeah. So you weren't dead. But right. you you like scooped up your cards and were right. like, yep, I'm out. Yep. And it's like, oh, wait, no. Right. So just make sure that like before you like make a decision like, yeah, this game's done and pick up your cards. Like yeah. take a beat and be like, is this game actually Well, kind of done? the same thing happened to somebody else at the PTQ also. Yeah. There was a life total discrepancy there was a life to- well yeah kind of a life total discrepancy where one person thought they had, had killed, killed their opponent and the other person thought that they were still at one yeah and so, then cards were picked up yeah and then we couldn't fix it and then there's no fixing yeah so just always take a second to think mm-hmm. right like you don't have to go in the tank about am i dead but like oh yeah mm-hmm. okay this all makes sense yep I think that's the basic stuff of getting through a turn. Yeah, we, just like err on the side of being clear. Like you don't yeah. have to be, you know, painstakingly obvious about everything. Just make sure that you're being clear. Yeah. Like uh, you had an opponent at the at GP Richmond. Or was it Richmond? No, it was GPDC. Huh? That didn't say anything. And yeah, it was, was just like tapping your creatures or tapping his creatures. Yeah, he threw a card at me to indicate a pregame effect. Yeah, like... Are you are you attacking? Are you convoking? Are like, you what are you doing? Yeah, just just be clear. Even stuff like like a convoke creature, mm-hmm. you don't always have to be like, I am going to tap these four creatures and this land to convoke my Loxodon. Right. No, you can just be like four and a creature Loxodon. Right. And it's like, oh, okay, like those four creatures were convoked. This planes was tapped. We've cast uh, the Loxodon. Yep. Cool. I forget his actual name. He's Loxodon something. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. He's not playable anymore. Um, <sighs> it's not Smiter. No, no. <laughs> it's, I, I, was, uh, I don't know. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> Card has been lost to the memory hole. But like, it's like it's clear that you've tapped enough things to make that happen. Mm-hmm. If you're doing something complicated, this is another thing. You can shortcut loops. Yes. So let's say... As long as your opponent completely understands what's happening. And agrees to yeah. the loop. Yeah. So like if you have a, a cat, a, a called familiar in a witch's oven, I had an opponent just say cycle cat, yep. which meant they were going to tap witch's oven, 
put the cat in the graveyard, make a food. Bring the cat back. Bring the cat back. Yep. So in that whole exchange, they gained a life and I lost a life. Right. And that's all that really mattered? That's all that really mattered. Yeah. So they'd just be like, cycle cat. Yep. If they had like multiple ovens, they'd be like, I'll cycle cat twice. Yep. Like, okay. It's a lot easier than going through a step-by-step. Than step. like doing the whole like thing. Yeah. So you can, if you're doing a loop, mm-hmm. you can say like, I'm going to do this four times. Yeah. Or if you're making a bunch of copies of something, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to make a thousand copies. Yeah of this creature as opposed to like tapping the thing that makes the copies a thousand times. Yeah. It's like, we're going to do this a bunch. (laughs) Okay. So we wanted to finish up on our playing and paper stuff. Yeah. We don't have too much more to touch on, but a couple important things that we neglected to talk about previously. Yeah. The first thing is we forgot to talk about the first thing you do after you kind of register register. at a big event. Yeah. Um, And this is where you're going to hand your deck registration sheet in and that's the players meeting. Yeah. Again, if you're if they have deck red sheet. So it depends, right, yeah. right? GPs don't do that anymore, but right. PTQs and I don't even know if Star City events take paper deck red sheets. Um I don't it's been so long since I played in an IQ, I have no idea. Yeah. Or just like a, an open. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm not sure. So usually before the first round there's a super short it's usually 5 to 10 minutes mm-hmm. meeting. Where if they're if they are going, they will basically give you a seat, mm-hmm. and it varies. Most of the time, your seat, the person seated across from you, is not the person you're playing. Right. It should but, be the next person alphabetically. But sometimes this is not the case. Sometimes that is not the case. And this is where if you have a deck red sheet, they let you do one last check of it. Mm-hmm. Before you turn it in. Yep. Uh, the judges will introduce themselves, let you know who they are. They'll tell you to call them if there's any questions whatsoever. Your opponent does not have your best interest at heart. Yep, they always say that. Normally they go over any bannings or recent rules changes. Mm -hmm. And typically they tell an awful joke. Yes, a bad pun. Yeah, very, very bad. Groans all around. Yes. And then they will put the pairings up shortly thereafter. Yep. But this is kind of your last time to check your deck. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of like... Figure out they'll they'll tell you what the appeals process is. Yep. Right. Like if you don't like your ruling, you're allowed to ask for another judge to decide it. And then if you don't like that ruling, then you're you, usually out of luck. Or they have to go to the guy with the red shirt. Yeah. Or one of the guys with a red shirt. Right. And then that person is the law. Right. Uh, so they do that beforehand. Yep. And then after the match, or after after your first game, I should say. No, after the match, I was right. After, after the match. The match Make sure you de-sideboard. So, like the, so after, you, after your match is done, yep. at a bigger event, there's a match mm-hmm. slip that yep. you have to fill out yep. and then sign. Yep. And then the next thing I do, or I do before I sign the sheet, yeah. is I will de-sideboard. Yeah, I, I almost always do it before I sign the sheet. That way, I make sure it's done. Yeah. So, you want to make sure that before you get up, you have put your deck back into its game one configuration. Yep. So that when you go to the next match, you don't have to, that you know that you have changed your deck. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I'll check my deck before each round also. Just to, oh, yeah. I won't check my deck, but I'll check my sideboard. Mm -hmm. Make sure there's 15 cards there. Make sure that they're my sideboard cards and not my main deck cards. And then I'll shuffle up for the next round. Something you can do is when you have your deck red sheet, you mm-hmm. can just take a picture of it mm-hmm. 
And so at the start of your round, you can look at it and make sure that all your sideboard cards before the round starts. Before the round starts, yeah. Not not actually at the start of your round. Yeah, before the round starts. Yep. You can check and make sure everything has moved around. You can't look at that during the round or anything. Right. But you could check and be like, okay, my, my sideboard cards are yeah. in the right place. Like, Especially if you're playing like a Fae of Wishes deck. Right. Where you're, and you're going into your sideboard multiple times. Yeah, because those cards can get into your deck without you sideboarding them. So yeah, that like, kind of gets confusing. Yeah, you you know have something killed right. and it's in your graveyard or you cast the Casualties of War and then you shuffle it into your deck after the match and then you don't right. catch that it is no longer in yeah. your sideboard. Where it belongs. Yeah, do that. And now the, the match slips, mm-hmm. they usually get passed around like, Eh, probably two to ten minutes, let's say, into sure. your round. Yep, depending on where you're sitting. Yeah, and how big the event is. Yep. They're going to have your name and your opponent's name, mm-hmm. and then they're going to have how many games each of you won. Yep, how many draws you had and how many losses each of you had. Yeah, not losses. No, yeah, I guess there are no it's, losses. It's wins, wins draw, draws, or drop. Wins, draw, or drop. Yeah, drop is the last column. So... After the match, you put in your wins. Mm-hmm. Usually, people do it a couple of Some people will sign the slip mm-hmm. and then hand it to you as the winning player okay. and let you fill out the result, or they'll put in their result. Yeah. I got one and sign it, and then you fill in That's how the I rest. do it. I always write down mine and sign it and let the opponent write down theirs. That way, there's no questions. Mm-hmm. And then as the winning player, mm-hmm. it's your responsibility to turn in the slip. Right. Because there's no advantage to you changing the slip. Right. There would be if the loser was. Yeah. So you're like, hey, loser, up. take this up to the, to the front. I'll show you. I won two yeah. zero. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. No. So you turn that in. Yep. At like your local game store, they probably won't do slips. Right. You usually just have to find, uh, whatever employee or. <laughs> Or a player is like running the event and be like, yeah, yeah I got it 2 0 or whatever. Yeah, for like FM or pre release yeah. or something. Yeah. It's a little less formal. Yep. But you want to fill out that s- slip and then turn it in. If you're going to drop, which I don't know if I've really ever filled out the little drop spot, I have. Um, you have to like, you like put an X for drop and then you have to initial that you're dropping. Oh, okay. On I've slip. never initialed it. I think you're supposed to initial it, but. No. Yeah, or I've at least seen people do it. I've, like I said, I've never done it. Yeah, uh, we're, we're, I guess we're, that makes sense. Yeah, we're Otherwise, right. your opponent can just drop you. Yeah. <laughs> and they out. Yep. My breakers are real good now. Peace. Yeah, so. Yeah, the only time that really changes is if your match has gone really long or for whatever reason there's a judge watching your match. Sometimes that happens. Don't be nervous about that. The judge will collect a slip from you. Yeah. And it, yeah, if it's towards the end, sometimes a judge will like come over and see you've signed the slip and just snag it from you. Yep. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I usually won't like ask a judge to take a slip. It's yeah. always more just like if they offer. Right. Because like they've got other stuff to go on and yeah. your legs aren't broken. They certainly do. If your legs are broken, maybe take a different <laughs> tack. But if your legs aren't broken, you should just probably take it up yourself. Yeah. And you usually take it up to, at a large event, they have like, during the players meeting, they'll be like, the main stage yeah, is where the slips go, and there's just like a little basket that yep. like will usually be color coded. There'll be like a piece of paper on it that matches the color of your slip, mm-hmm. and then that's where you take all that stuff. Yep. 
and then we have looking at standings mm-hmm. and uh, the joys of tournament, tournament math. math. Yeah. I'm not great with tournament math still. I've been playing back into the game for six years now. Uh-huh. Um, I still have a hard time with tournament math. It's a really weird thing. And there's a little bit of stigma to it also. Like parts of it can get kind of shady. Uh-huh. So it's something to be mindful of, but probably not something that you're going to use all the time. So at large events, the standings are kind of always around. Yeah. And they don't matter as much until you're in day two. Right. And like probably in like a GP, they probably don't start to really matter until like round 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. At smaller events like a PTQ, most tournament organizers have a policy where they won't put the standings up until either the second to last round or before the last round. Right. And so basically what you're trying to figure out is who makes it in. Right. And so... And if you're one of those players. If you're one of those players. So you're trying to figure out, can you draw your match Mm -hmm. intentionally, not have to play, and guarantee yourself your spot? Right. Do you have to play... Right, which is also related to the question if your opponent can draw in. Yes. So what you what I normally end up doing uh, when there's actual standings is it's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. You kind of figure out how many people are tied for, like, that go through eighth. Right. So, right, it's like, oh, there are numbers 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 mm-hmm. are... I'll have nine points. Right. Let's say they all get paired. That's when it's easiest. They're all paired together. Yeah. None of them can draw. Right. They all have to play. Because four of them get drawn out of... Top eight. Top eight. So then it's who plays and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. And usually one table will like roll the dice. Yeah. So, So if there are eight people that have nine points, if they all play... Four people end up with 12 points. Right. Four people end up with nine points. We have eight people in the top eight now because mm-hmm. those were the bottom four. The top four would stay. The bottom four would pass them. And, right. Right. But what will happen is is people might say, well, five and six, maybe we can draw mm-hmm. and then hope that the breakers work for us. Because if you draw, now there's only three people that can possibly pass you. Right. And... So if you draw one person in that draw gets bumped. Mm-hmm. So in that situation, no one will normally draw. Right. It's stuff like that, trying to figure out who can play and who can draw. Yeah. And like I said, there is kind of a stigma around it. Um, like people that are grinders, people that play a bunch, don't think twice about doing tournament math because it's part of you know what they do all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, people that don't play in big tournaments all the time, a lot of times will not really get angry, but like not be super happy about people like drawing into top or, you know, spending a bunch of time trying to do tournament math because it seems shady. Yeah. I guess. And it can lead to some awkward conversations also. The general rule of thumb that you will announce this before big tournaments is yeah. like you can't decide the outcome of your match through any way through magic. Would mm-hmm. be rolling dice or like offering anything. Right. Or playing another format. Yeah. Like the tournament method is easy. Is mm-hmm. if it's a five round tournament and you go three oh. Yeah. You just always get to draw, draw, and you make top eight. Correct. Like a hundred percent of the time. I've never had a tournament that's five rounds, so that doesn't work. Right. 
so like smaller tournaments, you know, if you get to 2-0, 3-0 in a four or five round tournament, you can just draw your last round mm-hmm. and you're in the top eight. Larger tournaments, that becomes harder. Like the number yeah. of wins you have to get to start changes. If it's a six round tournament, if you win four, you can probably double you can probably draw. just draw, double yeah. draw in. But it gets complicated. Like the PTQ we were at, like two guys drove together, so they were paired and they drew in round two. Yeah, which made it awkward. Which for... then the last round, it just like there were too many draws to be able to do yeah. reasonable tournament math. Yep. It can get awkward. Uh, I've seen at big events when there were pro points, people like do like this shady conversation of like, yeah. how much does this match mean to you? Right. I need these pro points. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I am not offering you anything, but how would you like to concede this match? Yeah. And like that rubbed me the wrong way. It's like one thing if it's like, you know, mutually beneficial. Right. But to be like, hey, I'm like, using... how would you like to not participate next round? <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, um, I'm going to use my little bit of like magic celebrity and cachet. Right. And like get you to draw or get you to, to concede. And then you're hoping that I then after you like concede, go, what's your address? I'll, I'll send you a check. Yeah. Right. Which is like not supposed to happen. But it does. It does. Well, they're not allowed to offer you the check before you concede. Correct. So then you concede and then they can be like, I'll hook you up. Yeah. So like if you or I did it, mm-hmm. people wouldn't know us from like Adam. Right. And they might be less likely to concede. Yeah. If you're uh, Tom Ross. Yeah. Then. Yeah. They're like, oh, I know. T- yeah. He's going to hook me up or like I'll drag him on Twitter or whatever. Yeah. And people will care. <laughs> And it's like, I'll drag Wakefield on Twitter and... Nobody will nobody care. Will care. <laughs> I'll care, buddy. You'll care. You'll care that I like wronged someone and didn't send them their check. So like that part I haven't liked. Just kind yeah. of be like, hey, you know who I am. So like, wink, wink, you're pretty sure I'm going to hook you up. Yeah. I've only seen that go down once. I know it's gone down more, but it happened yeah. like right beside me at a GP once. And I was like, that's kind of icky. I've heard the conversation multiple times. I think every time I have heard the conversation, it's been declined. Oh, see, I heard the conversation and it was accepted. Yeah. And like called the judge over and like made the judge watch the conversation. Yeah. And then I concede and then it was like, okay, here, here's your hookup. Mm-hmm. So it's weird. Yeah. So like. Not something you're going to have to worry about at your FNM. Yeah. But like it. At a larger event, like I wouldn't feel obligated to concede to anyone. I think I don't think I've Absolutely ever conceded not. to anyone. No, I haven't. I've either. taken a few draws mm-hmm. that have made people angry, or right. I'm just like, "Hey, you, you, you should have killed me." <laughs> like my opponent, like had a Tarmogoyf, and like like kept a hand that had a ley line and like no pressure against Dredge, and I like yeah. cobbled stuff together, and I was like, "Are you going to concede to me?" I'm like, "I had you." I had, no, <laughs> you you kept a hand that was hate card and nothing. Right. Yeah, like you, you did this to yourself. Yeah. But like I have like taken many uh, like intentional draw. Oh yeah. To like go get food. Right. Before a top eight or just whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or like you know we know that it's pre-release and we're just gonna like split, split the packs the packs anyway. So yeah. it doesn't matter as long as. There are four of us. We each get nine packs. It doesn't right. matter if we got there at 4-0 or 3-0-1. Right. Usually that's for food also. 
Yeah. Yeah. Just all go eat before the next pre-release. Exactly. Like I can't do this. Okay. So I think that's kind of the end of most of the tournament stuff, right? Like the playing and paper stuff. We had one more thing. Oh, one more thing. One more thing. Oh yeah. This one. Yeah. Please make sure there's no other cards in your deck box other than what you registered for the tournament. Yeah. So maybe you're at a GP and you bought some cards. Right. You can't just stuff those cards in your deck box. No. I always bring like an extra deck box to put cards I've bought because it's easier than carrying like a binder or something. If I go to a GP, I usually bring two extra deck boxes. So I bring one box with a set of draft sleeves, a few extra of whatever sleeves I'm using for the event, and a few extra inner sleeves. And then like if I buy singles from vendors, I'll shove them in that little deck box. And then I'll bring a different deck box for, like, if I end up, you know, doing a draft or a sealed or something. Yeah. So, yeah, I always just, if you get deck checked, mm-hmm. which is a thing that happens, I don't think we talked about that, they will, like, yeah. come by at the start of your round or at the start of your second or third game, usually your second game. Yep. And they will say, we're doing a deck check, give us your deck. Mm-hmm. And they will walk away and they will compare your deck mm-hmm. to... The your deck, deck sheet that you filled out. And if you have like extra cards that are legal in that format in right. your deck box, they will just give you a game loss. Mm-hmm. So you need to make sure that all the cards that you, that only the cards that you put on your deck registration sheet yeah. are in your deck. This is also something that you should do not just at big events though. Just all the time. All of the time. Because it's pretty bad taste if you're sitting down for FNM in your second round or whatever, and you know you're going to pull your sideboard out and you pull out like a uh, leyline of the void, just randomly like out of your deck box, even if it's not in a sleeve, like that's kind of sketchy. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's not something that you want to be accused of because that's not something that like goes away. Yeah. So just be better safe than sorry. Make sure your deck only has, you know, tokens for your deck, your sideboard, and your deck. And if you've gotten, like, super fancy and you're like, I like foreign cards for whatever reason, don't, like, put, like, the English version of the foreign card in your deck. Yeah. We had someone years ago get a game loss in, like, the top eight of a... Remember GPTs? Uh, Simpler times. Because he had the English version of all of his foreign cards in his deck. And he was trying to be like... Nice. Nice. Yeah. But trying to be accommodating the rule, to the, opponent. the rule is... Yeah. Four copies of a card. Four copies of a card in your deck box. Right. This goes... The, kind of one more thing to talk about is your deck box itself. What is considered a deck box? Because if you have a fat pack box with a deck box in it that you're using for the tournament... You can have whatever else in the fat pet box that you want. Okay. Because you have a deck box with your deck in it in there. Okay. If you do not have a deck box and you're just using the fat pack box for your deck box, you can't have any other cards in it because that box is your deck box. Okay. Okay. Um, this goes for like some of the aftermarket deck boxes also will have room for like two decks in them. Mm-hmm. That's a big no-no. Yeah, because you, you only have the one deck. You have one deck. There can be one deck in your deck box. So just something else to think about. Yeah. Like I, I have a lot of the like like ultra pro, just like five dollar, like mm-hmm. hard like semi hard plastic ones. Yep. They hold like a deck double sleeved. 
Yeah, I think m- the most common one that I use is the Star City one with the Velcro front. Yeah. Um, I, they were on sale on Star City Games for like a dollar and a half like four years ago, and I think I bought 12 of them. Yeah. And that's just what I use. Yeah, so just be mindful that, you know, you want to just make sure that your deck is always legal in the box. Right. Right. And if you get like, you know, call if you get deck checked, it's not a big deal. It happens. Mm-hmm. Yep. Usually like at a larger event, like a GP or an open, it happens at the higher tables. Yeah. Right. Nobody cares in the O four bracket if, yeah, your if you, deck is legal. Yeah. <clears throat> like well, if you're cheating, you're doing it poorly. <laughs> that is correct. So, you're hurting yourself, evidently. And usually in PTQs or like, you know, events like that mm-hmm. that have deck red sheets, they may deck check during the rounds. Yeah. Uh, but they typically will just deck check the top eight. Right. They'll just be like, if you're making, if you think you're making top eight. Sort your deck. Sort your deck and give it to us. Yep. One more thing about no outside cards in your deck box is we are creeping up on pre-release. So if you're going to go to pre-release weekend and play in multiple pre-releases, please make sure that the cards from your previous pre-release are not out in the open available to you while you are building your next pre-release deck. I usually will like these, like especially if I'm not leaving in between, yeah. I will de-sleeve, yeah. stuff them in the box that they gave me and just like banish it to my bag. Usually, I actually go a step further. I usually put them in my car. Yeah. And just leave them outside. We've had issues in our store previously with people pooling together multiple pre-releases to build a deck out of. And that's not a conversation that anybody wants to have. Yeah. So just leave that stuff in your car and it'll be easier for everybody. Remember, be a decent human being. That's right. Treat, Treat everyone else like you want to be treated. Everything's fine. This next section is kind of a continuation of playing in paper. Yep. And it's kind of magic shorthand, magic lingo. Yeah, it's all the stuff that somebody that didn't know anything about the game, if they walked up to a match and, you know, listened to two people converse about the game happening, this is all the stuff that would confuse them. Yeah, and it's not game Terminology. Yeah, it's not like scry. No, this is all stuff that, uh, like, players have made up. Yeah, as, as the game has gone on. Yep. We've done our best to kind of put together the... The main ones. We've mm-hmm. probably have forgotten something, but... If we did, you guys should let us know. Yeah. So the first one we have here is from Alpha, mm-hmm. and it's just Bolt. Yep. It's uh, just dealing three damage to something. I'm going to bolt your bird. I'm going to bolt your elf. I'm going to bolt you. Yeah, and it's not that you are actually... Um, casting Lightning Bolt. Casting Lightning Bolt. Right. It's any kind of three damage spell. Yep. So like Lightning Strike, I still say, you know, I'll bolt that. Yeah. Um, if you're plussing Ugin, that's basically a bolt. I call that a bolt also. Yeah. This kind of leads into the other one. If you fetch shock, mm-hmm. sometimes someone will say, well, I'll just bolt myself. Yeah, that's true. Right, because you deal, end up dealing yourself three damage, one from the fetch and two from the shock land yep. coming in untapped. Yep, so that's the next one is shock. Comes from the card shock, kind of like lightning bolt, except only two damage. Uh, from Onslaught, I think, was the first printing. Or was it? Tempest or Stronghold? Oh, maybe. Onslaught is the goblin that gets... or The The Atog. The Atog that gets roasted. There's one before it. It's the guy that's like falling backwards with a lightning around him. That's like Stronghold or Tempest, somewhere around in there. All right. We're old. We are old. (laughs) 
so yeah, Shocklands also, they are got their name Shocklands because they deal two damage to you if you want them untapped. Shocking. Yes. Uh, the next one is Dork. Yep. So usually in, in the, the parlance of like Mana Dork. Right. And that's just any kind of like, it used to just be a one mana creature that would then tap for mana was a Mana Dork. Yeah, it's kind of expanded lately though because we up until recently, haven't had one mana mana dorks. They've all been two mana. We had a five-year break on yeah. the one mana mana dork. Yeah, in which case two mana mana dorks were also dorks, like yes. uh, Leafkin Druid or Paradise Druid. Or that one, that, the one three for yeah, one yeah, yeah, yeah. green, I forget what it's called. Yep. Yeah. So if someone's like, you know, play my dork. Yep, or kill your dork. or Yeah, they're just playing, they're dealing with a mana creature. Yep. Uh, the next one is Wrath. From Wrath of God all the way back from Alpha refers to destroying all creatures. I mean, technically, I guess it could be any type of permanent, but yeah, mainly all creatures. So if someone's like, I'll cast a Wrath, right? You're killing everything, or let's say like Wrath your board, right? Uh, that's their control player, and they either have no creatures <laughs> or they have like some sort of one sided effect, yeah. And like Wrath will get used if they're just killing all the creatures, even if it's not like Wrath that they cast like cry the carnarium right and they kill everything they'll be like hey wrath the board yep and then start over mm-hmm. right so yeah the next one is mill comes from antiquities i think was millstone yeah clearly you didn't listen to the most recent uh, limited resources where they did i did a not arabian nights antiquities set review oh yeah with lsv and the ben sec that sounds fantastic how did i miss that they also did one like two years ago for alpha did they, they? Did, they did a full alpha set review, and this was man the full, must be a slow time of year for content. <laughs> yes, and this this was the full Antiquities Arabian Nights. I'll have to go check that Something out. Something I didn't know is that Antiquities every card in this set mm-hmm. was either an artifact, yeah. or had the word artifact in it. Every card, really? Every card. There were it was like an eighty card set. Forty of them were artifacts. Yeah. The other forty referenced artifacts referenced in some way. Yeah, like. There was like maybe five, like six to seven cards of each color yeah. that weren't artifacts. And like red had three ways to destroy artifacts and four ways to sacrifice them. Oh. And those were all the red cards. Wow. That was it. <laughs> uh, hmm. So at that, so yeah, uh, Millstone. Yeah, Millstone is the card. Comes from Antiquities. And then uh, what Millstone did was it took two cards from the top of a library and put them in that player's graveyard. And it was the first instance of a card that tried to use the decking right. rule. The If you have no cards in your deck and you draw a card, you lose the game. Yep. Oh, and I just used another one, decking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, it was the first instance of a card that basically attacked your library. Right. To try to have you lose the game that way. Yep. So this is any effect... That puts cards directly from your library into your graveyard mm-hmm. is a mill effect. Right. So it's like, I'll mill you for four. So when they cast the, what is it, Merfolk Seer? Safekeeper? Yeah, well, I forget what the sorcery side is. Like, oh, yeah, I don't digging know. Digging deeper or something deeper. When they say, like, mill you for, when they cast that and mill you for, four, for yeah, four. That's where it came from. Yeah, they're taking the four cards off the top of your library, putting them in your graveyard. So then decking yep. is. When you lose the game because 
You have to draw a card from an empty library. Yes. So it's like, oh, I got decked out, mm-hmm. which means I just ran out of cards in my library yeah. and things like that. So anytime someone says I got decked or, oh, he's trying to deck you, mm-hmm. it's they're trying to run you out of cards in your library. Yeah. It typically has like a negative connotation. It's not a super fun way to lose, if that you know means anything. It's not a super fun way to lose, and typically the strategy is bad. Yeah. Like, the fact that it's, like, viable in Throne of Eldraine pre-balanced arena draft. Yeah. That was rare. Mm -hmm. They usually will put... Some sort of mill effect. Three-ish, like, borderline build-around mill cards in a limited format. And that deck is never good. The fact that, you know... You could get, like, even in a paper draft, I got milled out recently in this format where you were, like, where you could get, like, three Merfolk to your keepers and then run away together yeah. to keep casting them. Like, that's super rare. So, usually, part of the reason it's, like, neg- a negative connotation is new players yeah. really love trying to, like, <laughs> mill people. Casual players also. It doesn't have to be just new, but yeah. less less competitive players they really love like, to mill people. And so, it's, like... And it's not a very good yeah. thing. And that's usually part of the reason it feels bad to lose to it is you're like, I know this isn't good. Right. So the next thing is something that we've talked about a whole bunch, especially coming up in this time of year when we're going to be doing card valuations soon. And that's uh, Bear. Okay. Bear is, again, from Alpha. The card was Grizzly Bears, and it was a two-mana 2-2. Two, two. Simple. Yep, that's it. Two-mana 2-2. Two, two. So bear is has been extended to any two mana two two. Mm-hmm. There is a subclass of bear that is the hate bear. Yeah. So hate bears are bears that have some taxing ability stapled onto them. Yep. Like Leon and Arbiter mm-hmm. is like uh, the quintessential hate bear. Mm-hmm. It says if you want to search, is a one and a white two two. If you want to search your library, if anyone wants to search, yeah. they have to pay one. Yep. So it has like a tax or a way that like gums up the game. Yep. Stapled onto the bear. Yep. I mean, Thalia is kind of a bear too, even though she's not a two-two. Yeah. So as I was it's saying, still like, a bear. There's yeah. also like the the hate bear. Yeah. Family is not limited to two-twos. Right. They're just cheap creatures that have some sort of tax. Usually, effect. like usually two mana. Yeah. Creatures that have some sort of taxing effect go into the hate bear camp. So if yep. Thalia is a 2-1 with first strike, she's an honorary. She's honorarily the queen of the bears. Right. Of the hate bears. <laughs> but Ayula is Ayula's actually the queen, queen of, of the bears. bears. <laughs> but Thalia is the queen of the hate bears. And then like Wizards also kind of plays around with this stuff a little bit. In the mystery booster drafts that we did, one of the playtest cards was bear with set mechanic. That was the name of the card. Yeah, which is something that, like... They do all the time. Yeah, they will just have yep. a two-mana 2-2 two, two that has whatever mechanic. Yep. Or, like, the invoker cycles yep. that come up so every so often, they're, like... Bear with upside. A bear with, like, usually some, like, big mana upside. Yep. So we have... Uh, is this a, a squire? Yeah. Oh, it... Uh, yeah, it it, it auto it auto corrected to <laughs> to a fraction uh, to a fraction. So I was super confused. I was like, "What?" 
Yep. Uh, the card Squire is where it came from. Um, that one, I don't know the set. It I was, think it might be Alpha. It's, no, it's it, was, early. it wasn't Alpha. It's, but it's a one and a white for a one-two. Yep, a one-two. It had to be like Tempest or one of those. Yeah, Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah. If you don't have an equipment to search for, it's just a squire. It's just a squire. Yep. So it's like, I don't know if this is good enough when it's just a squire. Mm-hmm. Or if they like, you know, blow up your equipment, you just played a squire or something. Yep. And again, you'll hear people, like you just said, it's just a squire or whatever. You'll hear people using some of this terminology while doing card valuations, which is kind of why it's nice to talk about it right now because in a couple weeks we're going to be doing a whole bunch of card valuations oh here's another one that's not on the list raging goblin yep oh it's just a raging goblin yep it's just a one mana one one haste yep and sometimes they're good sometimes they're not and then goblin piker yep is the uh, two one first strike for two something like that yeah yeah so they're like oh it's just a goblin piker yep it's like yeah uh or oh forgot all all these all gray ogre oh yeah gray ogre is a uh 2-2 two, two for 3 mana. And then Hill Giant. And Hill Giant is a 3-3 three, three for 4 mana. Yeah, these cards are all from Alpha. And Most it, of them are, yeah. yeah. If you if you are hearing these mana costs and going like, man, these are trash compared to like what we normally get now. <laughs> yeah, creatures yes. were bad. Creatures were awful. Yeah. Like there were like 6 creatures that are like uncommon power level now that yeah. like still see play like Sarah Angel. Yeah. A 5 mana 4-4 four, four Vigilance. Like that still gets printed from time to time. Yeah, that was like the pinnacle, one of the <laughs> pinnacles of like early Magic creatures. So if you if you go back to when I used to play Magic when I was in high school, like up until Mirage Visions era, we were not allowed to have a four mana four four without it having a downside. Yes. So think like Jazam Jin. Four mana five five is a four mana five five that damages you every turn. That was the best creature in the entire game. Yes, Urhamjin was a four mana four five that made your opponent's creatures unblockable every turn. Gave them gave one forest creature walk. forest walk. Yeah, and now we have shifting ceratops. Yeah, four mana five four with all upside or uh, questing beast. Questing Beast. Four mana, four, four with wall of text that's all great. Nightpack Ambusher. Yeah. Yeah. Four yeah. mana, three, three that kills something. It's a four mana, four, four. Oh, Nightpack. Yeah, I was thinking Wicked Wolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> four mana, four, four. Yeah. Or Wicked Wolf. Yeah. Yeah, things have come a long way. So when like Long way. So when someone says like, oh, it's just a Grey Ogre, that's not like high praise. Right. No, that yeah, is no, like, that's that, bad. That is like, oh, that's bad. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's just a Grey Ogre. Yep. All right, so ping. Mm-hmm. Ping, I don't really think it comes from anywhere necessarily, although it is tangentially related to another one that's not on the list. Tim? Tim, yeah. Uh, so ping is an ability that deals one damage to something. So like... Ren and six. It's, Ren and six, it's yep. Nig one, pings a creature, or pings a any, player. Any target. Yeah, yep. ping something. Yep. Fanatical firebrand. Yes. Sacrifice it to deal one damage to any target. Those are things that ping... Yes. And they come from Tim. Tim was a card from Alpha, Prodigal Sorcerer. Yes. Uh, which was a three mana 1-1 one, one that tapped to do one damage to any target. What color was it? It was blue. Yeah. So blue used yep. to have like direct damage. Yep. Psionic Blast. Psionic Blast, which was <laughs> three and a white. or Sorry, three, three and a blue. blue. Deal four to any target. You take two. Yep. Uh, it got color shifted to char. Right. Tim is- also got 
color shifted to prodigal pyromancer in one of those time time, time sets. Yeah, time. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, so the color pie as we know it now, where you're like, well, blue would never get like right direct damage, wasn't as like well thought out. Yeah, twenty five years ago. Do you know what uh, Tim was a reference to? I do not. Oh man, here we go. I'm showing my age now. So Tim is from uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I was gonna guess that. Yeah, it was the wizard. Okay. Some call me Tim. See, I never knew that. There we yep, go. There you go. So yeah, there we go. So there's ping, and then we have wheel, mm-hmm. which comes from wheel of fortune. Yep. Which is two and a red sorcery. Everyone discards their hand and draws seven cards. Yep. So wheel is just shorthand for any effect that has you draw seven cards. Um, well, not necessarily that. Like wheel is more about discarding your hand and then drawing. Typically, like recently, cards that have been printed with this effect aren't draw seven. They're going to be discard your hand and draw that many cards or discard your hand and draw a number of cards equal to like the most cards discarded this way or something like that. Yeah, I guess the heartfelt reunion mm-hmm. was like discard your hand, draw that many cards plus one Yeah, to make up for having to play heartfelt reunion. Yeah, uh, sometimes like Chandra's first neg ability will be something along this effect yeah when you watch cube players uh when you want if you watch like a cube draft if people are like drafting storm they're like oh i have to get the draw sevens yeah which any of the like wheel effects that mm-hmm. draw you seven to wheel of fortune yep time twister time twister time spiral all fall into that same kind of category mm-hmm. speaking of uh drawing stuff we have loot yep it's one of your favorite effects yeah, so looting <laughs> is when you draw and then discard. In that order. In that order. That comes yeah. from, I do believe, Merfolk Looter. Okay. Was, like, I think one of the first cards to do it. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether it was Merfolk Looter or Faithless Looting. Oh, uh, Merfolk Looter was first. Was it first? Yeah. It, it was, it's Yeah, it was Zendikar, right? Maybe before that, because uh, Zendikar's loot guy was the, was the one that... Uh, I thought it was Merfolk Looter. No, because it was the, the Cryptologist, the, the, like... They had levels where you like oh. level one it looted, level two it did something else, and then like the last level you just drew a card. Oh, okay. But I think Merfolk Looter is from like Tempest or something. Oh wow, okay. Uh, let us Way look. older than I thought. Let me find where where my fingers go on the keyboard. All right, while you're looking that up, I'll do the next one. The next one is Rummage, and it is the opposite of loot. It's discarding first, then drawing, and I don't think that rummage actually came from a card well we have rummage and goblin now oh yeah now now we do but at the, like people were using this before we Maybe. had rummage and goblin so a quick search finds merfolk looter was in exodus oh wow okay so tempest block yep way back when so yeah so then faithless looting yep got its name because you drew to discarded to mm-hmm. so you were looting you were looting yeah faithlessly faithlessly yeah so rummage the opposite. So a lot of Chandra's mm-hmm. will rummage. Rummage is a red thing. Loot's typically a blue thing. Yeah. I guess Nahiri. Yep. Uh, like old Nahiri. Yep. Is a rummage effect. Yep. If it has you, let's say, exile the card from your hand and then draw it, it's mm-hmm. still technically rummaging. Yeah. The difference is, is right, you, you have to discard before you have the information on what you're going to draw. Right. 
Whereas looting is typically better because mm-hmm. you have more information. Right. Because you've seen what you've drawn, and if you don't need the card you draw, you drew, you can just discard it. Mm-hmm. Where when you rummage... You're kind of taking a chance. Yeah, you're taking more of a chance. Because yep. like if the card... If you had to discard a C in hopes of drawing an A, and you drew a D right. when you rummage, now you're in a worse off spot. Whoops. Where if looting, if you draw your D, you discard it, and right. you leave the C in your hand. Yep. Bounce? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just return something to hand. Yes. It could be anything. Yeah, so it's just you bounce a creature. So Teferi will, people like will play yeah. little Teferi and go like, well, bounce that. Yep. So just return it to your hand. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's from an actual card. Neither do I. The only thing I know of that has bounce on it is Merfolk Bouncer. Okay. Or no, Waterfront Bouncer. Okay. That is the, it's one of the ones with the untap symbol. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, we were using bounce when I was a kid, and the only thing that bounced at that time was boomerang. Mm-hmm. And that's not bounce. Boomerangs do not bounce. Yeah, no. no. Crack. Yep. And that's uh, anything with, like, self-sacrifice, right? Typically, the most common use of this is for fetch lands that go yeah. to get another land. You'll say, crack my fetch land. Here's another thing that gets cracked. It's, oh, no, it's the next thing. Egg. It's the next thing, yeah. Egg. So, <laughs> eggs are an artifact that will sacrifice and draw a card. Yep. Usually, uh, like, golden egg, uh, the, now it, like, draws the card on the front end. Right. And then will sacrifice for some ability. The old eggs, chromatic star, chromatic sphere. Mm-hmm. You didn't get the card on the front end. You, you got, got the, the card when you when you sacrificed it. Yep. Speaking of drawing cards, the uh, next thing is cantrip. Yeah, you had to explain to me where cantrip came from. I did. Yeah, this is basically any cheap spell that draws a card. So, brainstorm, ponder, opt, serum visions. They're all cantrips. They yes. just do a small effect and then draw a card. Yeah. Um, and this is a D&D reference. Uh, one of the like really low-level spells that wizards learn in D&D is a cantrip. And it's just a spell with a small effect. So then there's blink. Yep. So what's blink do? You will exile something mm-hmm. and then return it to play. And it could be either immediately or at the end of turn. Yes. It's templated both ways. Yeah. So I think this also, I think the end of turn one might sometimes be called like flicker. Okay, yeah. Because of Flicker Wisp? Yep, could be. But, so there's, I guess the... I think they're pretty interchangeable, though. Yeah, they are. There's momentary blink might be where it kind of come could. from, or at least, like, people called it blink, and yeah. then they made momentary blink as a reference to it. Yeah, one or the other. Yeah. Chicken or the egg. Yeah. And then, like, Flicker is in Flicker Wisp yeah. is a creature that exiles a permanent, and then it returns it at the end of the next end step. Yep. The next thing we have is chump, almost always referred to as a chump blocker. Mm -hmm. It's just blocking with an insignificant creature to kind of fend off an attack. Yeah, basically you are just putting the creature in the way so it dies, so you don't take damage. Yep. I typically say under the bus. I'll throw this guy under the bus. Yes. It's the same thing. He's a chump blocker. Yeah, so... Something you don't expect to survive. Yeah. Strategy time. Yeah. Strategy corner. Typically, like, newer players are more hesitant to take damage early in the game. Yeah. So they are more aggressively chump block. Yep. Right? Like, if you're getting attacked with a 4-4 and you only have a 3-3 and Mm -hmm. you're at 20, 
just take four. Yeah, you, you got four turns to worry about that four four. Yeah, right. You could draw a removal spell or a pump spell, mm-hmm. right? But if you chump block with your three three and then you draw your giant growth, yeah. Now you can't try to profitably like kill. Yeah, you the wish four, you had four. your three three back. Right. So early in the game, it's usually not best to chump block. Yeah, or even if you don't draw a pump spell and you draw a kill spell. Yeah, now you've just two for one yourself. Like your creature's gone, and you had to use your removal spell on it, and you just saved yourself four life. Yeah, which isn't a huge deal. Well, it's not worth a card. Yeah, they have really yet to print the just gain a life card that is worth a card. Maybe the uh, it feed the clan. Like if yeah, yeah ferocious, you gain yeah. eight. Yeah, that was close. Yeah, yeah, one mana gain eight for a card is maybe good enough. Mm-hmm. Next up is mana sink. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a place for all your mana to go. Yep. Down the drain. <laughs> and not necessarily. Actually, it's the opposite of that. It's a place for your mana to go so it doesn't go down the drain. Yeah. Refers to sinking your mana into something um, yeah. instead of wasting it. So it's like, like I said, the invoker cycles mm-hmm. yep, are usually creatures sinks. that are cheap early on. Yep, and then have like an eight mana activated ability. Yeah, there's... One in Theros, it's blue. It's like a one mana, one, two. Mm-hmm. And you like pay seven in a blue, tap, sacrifice it, draw three cards or draw two cards. Yeah. Right? So you play. You can play it early on, and then late in the game, when you have a bunch of lands, you can yep. spend all your mana to make that, to get something out of that card that would otherwise not be any good. Yeah, there was one in Battle for Zendikar, I think, that was like a two mana, two, two, and you could pay... You know, seven and a green to give it plus seven, plus seven till end of turn. And there was also the red one, like yeah. dealt three or dealt two to any yeah, target I think for it was the same. Three. For the same, it was like eight mana. Yeah. So they're usually just these cheap, semi-insignificant creatures. Or there's also like enchantments that will do the same thing. Yeah. Um. It, I mean, it doesn't. Mana sinks can be more broad than that too, though. Like it doesn't have to be just you know a giant activated ability like. A hydroid crisis is a mana sink. Yeah. Or majoring network, like if you were playing during, you know, Origins, was a land that you could put, you know, charge counters on to basically save your mana for later. Yeah. Like that's a good mana sink. It's just a, something for you to do with extra mana. When uh, you're morph. Yeah, morph is a good mana sink, especially in limited when you're playing a game. One thing, a term that you'll hear tossed around is mana advantage. Or somebody that's making better use of their mana. Using all of your mana. Yeah, using all of your mana is, yeah, like you said, the big thing. Mm -hmm. And just having a place to put, you know, if you have a four drop and you have eight lands in play, just having something to do with that extra four mana, it doesn't even matter how small it is. As long as you're using it, typically you're going to come out better than if you didn't. So, like I said, a mana battery, that's another uh, another terminology, mana battery. Um, But majoring network is a good place to put some of that. Yeah, so basically uh, the idea is is that your mana spoils. Mm-hmm. You get to use it for that one turn cycle. Right. And if you don't, you never get access to that mana again. Correct. So if a mana sink allows you to do anything with that mana other than not use it, right. you might be able to turn that into... Some sort of advantage at some point. Yes. So let's save it up for... Mm-hmm. a rainy day or a rainy turn <laughs> or just using it to get like just the smallest little mm-hmm. amount of advantage even something that's you know 
if you had a bear that had one and a white gain a life. Yep. Right? Well, you would much rather gain that one life and then, then not, not use your two. two mana. Yeah. So even if it's something small that's not really that impactful, mm-hmm. it's, it's still better, better than, than getting nothing. nothing. Exactly. I guess these two go together. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Well, there's there's crackback, yep. but there's alpha also like alpha. Yeah. So an alpha strike is when you just take all your creatures, turn them sideways, and attack. And perhaps you say... Math is for blockers. That's right. <laughs> I'm just attacking with everything, and you work it out and figure out if you die, because yep. I don't want to deal with it. I'm just attacking with everything. Or you're attacking with everything, and you're like, you are dead now. Right. You have... Here's how you should block, <laughs> and you die. Yeah. Right, so that's when you alpha strike. Yep. When you just swing with everything. Yep, and then after you alpha strike, if you don't kill them, you typically die on the crackback. Which is when they just attack with everything at you. Right. <laughs> right, so there's... Pleasant Kenobi has the term flunge. Okay, I haven't where, heard this one. Where you're just like, I'm just going to attack with everything because I think I'm dead, and I'm yeah. just going to see if I'm not. <laughs> like... I know if you get to attack, I die. So I'm yeah. just going to flunge. I'm just going to throw all my creatures at you. All right. And then we'll see if you die. Yeah. And if not, I die. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one before. That's a good one. Yeah, where you're just like, it's like a desperation attack. Just yeah. Whoop. So, yeah, so, so they, oh, I'm going to alpha here. Yeah. Or, oh, they alphaed, mm-hmm. is you've just attacked with everything. Yeah. Especially, like, in limited games, I have certainly reached the point in multiple games where the game's not going particularly well for me and I can feel the window closing. Mm-hmm. So if there is any sort of board stall, a lot of times I'll just flunge, I guess, and just see what happens. And like also sometimes it'll like clean up the battlefield yeah. where they have to like make trades. Yeah. And it can make things a little simpler. Mm-hmm. I guess another thing about attacking mm-hmm. uh, that is uh, definitely terminology they use on coverage okay is getting into the red zone oh yeah <laughs> so do you know where this came from i do okay <laughs> so this is just attacking with the creatures you know, oh yeah. so such and such is going to get into the red zone it's going to attack yep and that's because the play mats they used in paper coverage for the longest time had yeah. a red stripe right down the middle <laughs> uh to separate the two halves of the battlefield yeah so when people attack, they they move their creatures forward and tap them, and they would just put them in the red stripe. Right. So they were in the red zone. <laughs> so if they say, like, oh, I'm going to get into the red zone with this, or you hear, like, coverage, oh, is he going to get yeah. into the red zone with his such and such this turn? It's Is he going to attack with yeah. this creature? Man, I wasn't sure you were going to get that. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Magic so, trivia, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, getting into the red zone. Uh, so the next one, keeping on theme with attacking, is uh, pump. Yes. And that's anything to make a creature bigger. So giant growth, larger than life, whatever. Uh, Knight of the Ebon Legion. Yep, Knight of the Ebon Legion, self-pumps. Yeah, no, was Knight of the Ebon Hand is the the pump oh, yeah, cycle yeah, yeah, from yeah. like... Fallen Empires. Fallen Empires yeah. is like where like that like Pump Knights was something that was yeah. like a long time ago. So Pump has been like in the vernacular for oh, I mean, Giant Growth was Alpha. Yeah, for like a long time. Yep. Was, and actually, Giant Growth didn't see a ton of play. It was Howl from Beyond. A black and X. Yep. Pay X. A creature gets plus X plus X. Yep. Uh, plus, plus X plus, plus zero. zero. Yep. And then uh, when I was like not really playing, I still bought cards every so often. 
Hatred. Okay. Three and a three black black. Yep. Pay X life. Target creature gets plus X plus O. Woo. Channel and Howl from Beyond. Yeah. Had a baby. <laughs> Good times. It's hatred. <laughs> yeah. Another attack one is swing. Yep. I'm gonna swing out. Mm-hmm. It's just I'm gonna attack. Yep. I swing, swing out as I'm gonna guys. attack with everything. Or I'm gonna swing with my bear. Mm-hmm. Is there a they're gonna attack you. So anytime someone says swing. Yep. It's just attack. You just attack. Yeah, I don't know where that one started either. Neither do I. I mean, I, it makes sense. Like, you take a swing at someone, like, you try to punch them. Yeah, but I mean, it could also be, like, when you tap, tap the cards, they, they, they look, swing a little they bit. Swing a, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the next one is Tuck, and this is anything that puts a card back into the library. So, yeah. like, Big Teferi. Would Tuck. Would Tuck something. Sometimes he would Tuck himself. Go Tuck yourself, Teferi. Yeah, Teferi was great about tucking himself. I'm not quite sure where this one came from. I know... For a long time, it had um, more widespread use in Commander. Yeah, because you would try to like put their Commander into their deck. Yeah, yep, and they referred to that as tucking. That was the old rule. It's not the rule anymore. Yeah, they got rid of that. Yep. I want to play with my Commander. <laughs> I don't have to fight it in my 100 cards. That's right. It's worth always be there for me. The next one we have is Ramp, and that's basically any way to get ahead on mana. So whether it's a Mana Dork or a spell that goes and gets more lands, those are things that ramp you. Where does ramp come from? Uh, that would be rampant growth. Which was search, one of the green, search your library for a car for a land, put it on the battlefield, tapped. Yep. That's too good for us now. That is too good for us now. We can, we can have a four mana, four fours with walls of text. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. But getting to that four mana, four four a turn early... With a two-mana spell? No bueno. No bueno. It's too, too much. Uh, another one that you don't really hear too much in competitive magic, but you will hear a lot in EDH that kind of goes along with this, is a rock. Oh, yeah, like a mana rock. A mana rock, yeah. Um, and that refers to any type of artifact that produces mana. Yes. Uh, mana rocks are also really big in the Vintage Cube. Okay. So those are you take mana rocks really highly. Yep. Um, do you know where that one comes from? Felwarstone? It does, yeah. So Felwarstone, gosh, I don't know the text on Felwarstone. It's a two-mana artifact, and you can tap it for a mana of any color that a land your opponent's control can produce. And that's from, like... The Dark. The Dark, okay. Yep. So the Mana Rocks <laughs> did, did an interesting thing. We started out with, like, the Moxen and Soul Ring. Yeah. And then, like, a year later, they were, like, three-mana... You can't choose what color mana it produces. It has to produce something that your <laughs> opponent mana. has. It was two mana. Two mana. But yep. so, like, yeah, I can't. And now two mana mana rocks are too good for modern magic. Yeah, they like come into play tapped and have a downside if they exist at the all. The last two mana mana rock I remember was from like Shadows Block. Well, there's, there's one in standard right now. There is? Yeah. Arcane Signet. Oh, that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot make... But that's a commander mana rock. Right? Sure, but it's standard legal. Sure. <laughs> How much mana does it, can it produce in standard? Well, none. None. <laughs> <laughs> there was, oh gosh, what was it? It was like two mana, and it could only make mana of a color of a permanent that was in your graveyard. Is it Silent Gravestone? No, Silent Gravestone is the exile guy from... Uh, uh, Cryptolith Fragment? Maybe. It was the one that transformed, right? No, I don't think it did, no. Hmm. No, but there was that one was like two mana, and you had, like had to jump through a bunch of hoops, yeah. and it was like 
unplayable. Yeah. And I guess like if you're playing a historic, the mana rock of choice is Mindstone. Yep. Which is two mana tapped at one colorless mana. Yep. And then you can second draw a card. One mana tap. One sack. mana tap sack. Uh, but yeah, so if you hear mana rock, I guess like the mana rocks that we see now are almost always three mana, like mana geode. Yeah. From war yep. or spinning wheel, mm-hmm. which spinning wheels normally usually will like stick some sort of effect on the yeah. mana rock yep. to make it for the fact that it's three mana. Yeah, like we had, uh, was it Hedron, Hedron something? And, Hedron Archive. Yeah, that was a good one where it was four mana made two. Yep. And then you could sack it and draw two cards. Yes. Oh, uh, the kind of mana that mana rock made was Wingding. Wingding, sure. So Wingding, yeah. if you don't know, is <laughs> with the Zendikar, the most recent Zendikar block, they yeah. introduced the... Specifically colorless mana symbol. And so that was like... I forget the name of it. I know the name of the symbol, but I forget oh, what okay. it's called. I did not know the name of the symbol. The The Pittsburgh Steelers helmet logo okay. is the same symbol. Oh. It's the shape that you get if you put four circles... Side by side. Oh, and the it's left over. Shape, yeah. That is the shape of the wingding in okay. the in the thing. I forget what it's called. But is that symbol was just colloquially called wingding. Yeah. So Hedron Arc had made wingding wingding. Made two wingdings. So why was it called wingding? Because that's like the weird symbol font in yeah. uh, Word. Yep. Is the, the name of the font that's all symbols. Yes. And then we have spin, as in spin the wheel. Yep. And this is any, I guess, Pokemon-esque effect where you do something randomly. <laughs> yeah, usually it has to do with the top of your deck, mm-hmm. where you're going to reveal the top card or reveal the top number of cards or look at the top whatever number of cards and then pick one and do something with it. Yeah, so where this was used the most was there was like kind of two back-to-back standards. You had Collected mm-hmm. Company. Yep. Where you'd spin the wheel, you're going to look at the top six. You don't know you're going to get. You're going to hope that you get two, three mana creatures. Right. You're uh, going to hope you're going to get a spell queller in response to their spell to counter Yeah, you're it. just going to spin the wheel and see what happens. Yep. Right, kind of like roulette. Like, I don't know, it's just random chance that yep. I hit the table. Uh, just <laughs> random chance. Uh, and then you had Aetherworks Marvel. Yeah, that was the big one. Uh, which, ideally, you made the noise when you spun the wheel. <laughs> but you spin, you would, like... Pay your six energy and be like, yeah. come on, daddy needs an Embercle or an Ulamog. I never really thought of this as roulette. I always thought it of as a uh, Price is Right. Oh, okay. When you're, you know, for your showcase. To yeah, your you, showcase to get spot. the showcase show done. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Um, and then our, our European listeners are like, what the hell's the Price is Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a show with Bob Barker. Now Drew Carey. Not Drew Carey. Bob Barker. Bob Barker. <laughs> Nothing against Drew Carey. I like Drew Carey, but... Bob Barker. Bob Barker. Have your pet spayed or neutered. That's right. I guess now the big one is... Urza. Urza. Yeah. Where you just pay five mana, shuffle your deck, and get to cast the top card. Yep. We have or a... play the top card. Golos, too. Yeah. But you're just, yeah, you're just like spinning to yep. see what you get, which is all like random chance. Yeah, and that's the big thing. Spin the wheel has some some uh, aspect of randomness in it. Yeah, you just don't know what you're going to get. You can't really like set it up. It's just right. like, well, I hope this works out. Yep. So I think that's uh, all of our shorthand talk. Was there any, any that you thought we missed? I think I like said all the ones that popped into my head as we were doing it. Yeah. So yeah, so this is another thing that... 
is a little intimidating when you like walk into your your first paper match. Yeah, especially if you're you know new to the game, have only played with some recent sets, you have no idea what lightning bolt you're is. like bolt that is, and right. you're like, so what are we doing again? Yeah. It'll help close that communication gap. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not comfortable using the lingo initially. Yeah, at least you kind of know, what know it's what's talking going about. on. All right, I think that should have everyone up to speed on how to play in paper. Yeah, I can't believe you guys listened to all that. Yeah, it was, it's a lot. <laughs> but it's a lot of good information. Yeah, it certainly is. So if you'd like to hear uh, more from us, mm-hmm. please try to find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify. Podbean, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube. Yeah, uh, just search for uh, Casual Tripod and we uh, pop right up. Yep, or Casual Tryhard MTG. Yeah. Uh, if you want to tweet at us, mm-hmm. uh, it's, that's Casual Tripod. It sure is. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG. Um, you can email us at show at casualtryhardmtg.com. And I think that should cover it. Yeah, and with that, we'll catch you at FNM. Yep, we'll catch you guys at FNM. Bye.